Oh, fall is here. Nice, nice and chilly, Nipley. Welcome to the Completely Unnecessary Podcast for Tuesday, October 12th, 2021. That's all just one zeros and twos. Wow. That's interesting. Alongside Ian Ferguson, I'm Pat Contry. Very on, interesting. On the show today, we'll be talking about, uh, I don't know, a physical product reveal from an upstart game company that's making the rounds. Uh, Ian will be talking about uh, Metroid Dread, uh, Dread and All-Star Nickelodeon Brawlers. Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl or Brawls. <laughs> the standard retro game collecting 2021 and more fun. We're always having fun. Ian, how was your weekend? My weekend was fantastic. Patrick. Fantastic. It's fantastic. Uh, it was mine and Vani's uh, anniversary. Oh, yeah. We've been together lovers. 12 years, seven of those married. We got married on what we decided. We settled on a date that was like, yeah, we probably started dating seriously around this date. All right, so you celebrate, wait, not your marriage anniversary. You're, you're getting no, together. I mean, it's, they're the same day. Oh, they are? Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you picked it around that time. Yep. So um, we went to Disney. Uh, we hadn't been there in a while. Right. And we did both California Adventure and Disney. And uh, we had a ton of fun. I just have fun hanging out with Bonnie. That's probably why we're together. We enjoy our, each I other's company. I was going to say, I, that's part of We enjoy each other's company. I hope you enjoy your company. Um, and we had a really good time. Well, I, I say that because uh, I had a blast this weekend, and I do it all over again. But one of the things we wanted to see, we were iffy on whether or not we really needed to do to do California adventure. And we did it because that's where they just added the, um, the, they call it the new Avengers campus. So people, I mean, if you probably know how Disney works, Disney parks are generally divided into like universal studios does the same thing. They divide them into small little theme sections. So you get like Tomorrowland and Frontierland. Um, there's, you know, galaxy's edge in Disneyland, which is star Wars in California adventure. You know, they have them divided up. There's Pixar pier and the new one, the Avengers campus opened sometime earlier this year. And, um, I think I might've talked a little bit about it when galaxy's edge opened. I'm not a star Wars fan. I'm probably more interested in Marvel properties, I guess, than I am star Wars. Um, but I'm really kind of cool on both of them these days. Sure. Um, but I loved the Star Wars Galaxy Edge area when I visited it because it's just a cool place to walk around. The theming, the the buildings, the sets essentially were very, very cool to see. Um, Avengers Campus just felt like a very cynical money grab to me. Um, there was There's one ride. One ride. One, one ride. One. And uh, the lines were so big and it went down for half the day that we didn't even get on it. We were in a virtual queue. But it looks like what a lot of these new rides are, probably similar to the Star Wars ride in Galaxy's Edge, where it's kind of like a video game meets like a sort of a ride. And I'm Uh not like super interested in those. But even if it was the greatest ride ever, you walk through Avengers Campus and it's a lot of places where you can buy stuff. You can buy a Star Wars robot droid. You can buy food from Pim's, you know, Test Kitchen Laboratory, which we ate at. That's literally the name of the place you Pim's eat at? Pim's Test Kitchen. Yeah, That sounds horrible. Um, I actually thought Pim's Test Kitchen was fun. Was you there know? like vials everywhere? It, yeah, it's kind of like themed ketchup, like ketchup that. In a, in a potion vial? or it, it looks like a test kitchen. But there's That's just, so weird. My point That's is there's... forced. I'm sorry. There's not a lot to do there. I mean, how do you make Avengers, like their headquarters, like a theme? Like it's... 
Right. So it was kind of weird. So there weird. wasn't a lot to do there. The constantly blaring dun 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 Yeah, Marvel music was like. Did you, did you see the the robot animatronic Spider-Man that swings around? No. They, they, I mean, it's not a human because it, it looks like a person. Though, yeah, I know there's around. one. I we didn't see him. But uh, I, I, then, I, sorry, the, the, the whole forcing Spider-Man to the Avengers thing, I just can't stand. But well, that's what I, it was. I, I it get was, it though. It was very Spider-Man and, and Avengers themed, and Spider-Man, I might if Spider-Man was never a real Avengers team member. If I liked either of those more than I do, it might have been I, it might have been interesting, but I, I don't think it would. I think I would have been disappointed either way. Um, there's just nothing to do, and unlike I guess my point is unlike the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which looks like a Star Wars set. Sure, this literally looks like a campus. It looks like a fucking college. I mean, it just. And- it's like the Avengers, they just, like, sleep there. Like, that's not where they do shit, you know? Like, they go out and, and fight yeah. people. They don't hang out there all the time. Like, the Avengers had their own lives. Like, Tony Stark, like, they came together to... The whole concept's fucking weird. And a lot of it's obvious from the movies. Yeah. Giving their dictation on uh, about how these superheroes operate. And it's like, no, they don't hang out on a campus. They don't take classes together. So I can't no. speak to the ride, but I mean, I would say this. If you're a huge Marvel fan and you're like sitting there right now going, do I need to get out to Disneyland to see Marvel's Avengers Campus? No, no, you don't. But is it all is it connected to the comics at all or is just all movie stuff? It has it, to be all movie stuff. It's very much all movie stuff, yeah. So that was kind of a bummer, well, I, but I mean, we had fun with it, you know. So That's cool. Um, yeah, so it was a great weekend and I played a bunch of games, but we'll get to that soon. Let's talk about your games then. Go for it. Let's go. For um, it. Let's get all eaten out of the way. So I uh, played a lot of Super Monkey Ball 2, which, uh, Super Monkey Ball uh, Banana Mania, which just came out, which is a combination of Monkey Ball 1, 2, and Deluxe with unlockable characters. And it's a really nice package. My main problem with it is that uh, it adds all these neat bonus characters you can play as, uh-huh. um, like uh, Kiryu from Yakuza, uh, Sonic and Tails. But you can only play them in the main game. You can't play them in any of the mini games, and I don't know why. It doesn't make any sense to me. They don't have different stats or anything like that. Um, it would have been really nice because a lot of the additions are cosmetic. There's costumes you can add to the monkeys and shit like that. But you can't use them in the party games, which are like one of the biggest draws. I know, Ian. I know. And the main game is very difficult, but I enjoy it. Um, of the bigger stuff that came out this uh, recently, uh, Vani got Metroid Dread. Big, big stuff. Did you like it? Yes, uh, she we only, she only really got to play it for a night, but she made it through, I think, the first section, the first main section of the game. And um, a couple things I want to say. Sound design is fantastic, like just immaculate sound design. And effects, creepy. Yeah, very creepy effects. Uh, great, like sound effects for like Adam, the computer's voice. Um, just the background ambiance is really good. I enjoyed just listening to it. Uh, I complained when the game was first shown that I thought it looked too clean and I didn't like the look of it. I still think it kind of falls into that too clean category, but I do like, like, after watching the game in motion and kind of seeing, like, a whole chunk of the world come together as Vani explored it, I really do like the look of it. Um, The big thing that I think is dividing people is the EMMI robots, which are basically, like, these pseudo sort of indestructible security robots that chase... So the main, uh, Samus around main foe of the game foes yeah foes. but that's what they kind of showed in the yeah the uh They're you not- know the trailers and uh there's some people out there complaining that it's too hard um and I can understand that you know maybe getting frustrated but Vani can get frustrated at difficult games very easy 
And she just found it fun. She kept restarting. There was a section she had to redo like 12 times, but like she kept opening the map and, you know, like trying to plot out a path through the area and like just accepting it as part of a game. She's been having a lot of fun with it. And one of the nice things is, unlike a lot of Metroidvanias, there's not a lot of backtracking to a previous save spot. Okay. It seems like if you die at one of those Emmy zones, because they're separated into like zones where you can kind of tell that where they are. Um, it looks like it starts you right back outside um, that area. So you can just kind of try again. So it looks like there is some sort of concession to this newfound difficulty. Uh, I think overall people have been pretty impressed with it. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy that, you know, they finally got an entry in this series that, that people seem to be enjoying. Um, maybe I will play it at some point. Uh, I'm, I've just got a lot on my plate, and when Vani told me she was interested in Dread, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to watch you play Dread. <laughs> uh, I don't like Let's Plays unless they're Vani plays. And then, uh, and then you got a, we got a code from uh, Steve from i 95 Creative sent you a Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl yes. code. Thank you, Steve, for that code. Um, so I've been kind of uh, looking forward to this because early on there was talk about the online having rollback net code, uh, which made it sound like the developers were taking the game pretty seriously. Um, and they have, I said something online the other day. So my big problem with this game is there is zero voice acting whatsoever. There are no voices for any of the characters. That's weird. That's a weird decision. And uh, I, I don't think it was a decision. It was a, we don't want to pay the money. Do they have to pay extra to get voice samples? Yeah, they probably have to pay the voice actors. I don't know what their, you know, what the rights are, but I'm assuming there's lots of weird licensing rights in you, there. You don't think they could have got just samples from existing like episodes, what have you? They well, still have to pay pay the actors they didn't want to. I what I want to make clear here is all of the complaints I have are mainly result, re, revolve around a lack of content and no voice samples, and I don't think that's the development team's fault at all. I think that's absolutely 100% a budget concern. And I really wish that Nickelodeon would realize that there are people who want to buy this and want to support it and making it seem like an actual full-fledged AAA release is going to do nothing but help them. Sure. Having all these budget, you know, it, it looks like a budget video game, sounds like a budget video game because none of these characters talk, but it doesn't really feel like one. The game actually plays very well. Um, I, I really enjoyed the gameplay on it. Um, and when I posted to Twitter originally talking about it, I hadn't put as much time in, but I, I kept playing. I kept playing with different characters. And the game's fucking fun. It is. It's a, it's, it's a good time. And the roster is interesting. It's obviously missing some stuff that I would like. Again, it comes down to licensing and rights. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I really do want to commend the team for making something that plays uh, very well. If you like Smash Brothers, it's a little different, uh, a lot the same. And I, I think that, you know, there's something here for people to play, especially if you want a good online experience. I played a bunch of online games, and I had no connection problems at all. Who's your main on? Who you, did you like? Uh, I've been using uh, Toph from Avatar um, and April from Turtles and Spongebob because I love Spongebob. Who doesn't like Sp Spongebob? Spongebob is adorable. He's a wonderful little guy. Um, is, P is Patrick in the game? Patrick's in the game. So, I mean... <sighs> I, like Patrick. I don't want to tell people not to get it because it's fun, but just know what you're getting into. I realized that with video game characters, like especially Nintendo game characters that normally don't have a lot of dialogue, you would notice if there was no voices there. 
But I honestly don't even think it would be as big of a deal as it is with something like this because these are cartoon characters. Time, yeah. Fifty to six, like fifty yeah. percent of what you relate to them or yes. know about them is their voices it's and more, their catchphrases. It's and more their, important. Yeah, it, it's way like, more important to have Ren and Stimpy fight without hearing them say something catchy. Would to be have weird. SpongeBob fight without any like no giggles, ah! no or something, yeah, I mean, or something. even just a grunt or yeah. like something. It's 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 fucking strange. Oh no! So there's my SpongeBob. It's a good game, and like I said, the developers, hats off to you for you know, like really putting some effort into it. It's fun. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would love to see some sort of hey, like post-launch maybe the, maybe, support. Yeah, maybe successful enough they can put sound in like more s- voices. That's weird. Uh, someone said that the, the game's been data-mined, though, and there are additional characters supposed to be coming. Tommy Pickles is one of them. Uh, supposedly Rocco was in wow. the data mine, which would be really, really cool. Uh, and then there was a few more. I think a couple. Tom, Tommy's so little. How do you play as Tommy? I think Tommy will probably be like SpongeBob size. But that's what I said to Vani. I said it's going to be weird if Tommy Pickles is just this fucking yeah, yeah, adult sized yeah, baby with a diaper. Um. So yeah, I don't know. That, that, that's my thought on it. It's, got, it's fun. You got to get Doug in there. Doug. Well, I, I mean, I know they don't have the rights to him anymore. Yeah, but, it was Disney, but still, figure it out. Yeah, figure, figure it out. Put this, Quail this Man in be, there. This could be like the the TV equivalent of of what Smash Bros. became, like a like a. It, a celebration of all the TV cartoon, you know what I mean, for kids. Like that'd be a fantastic thing. Yeah. Direction if they went in there. So I, I, I'm positive on it, but seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. Seven out of ten. You, 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 you give me some voices in there. Solid I'll, seven. I'll bump average. that up to an eight. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Real quick, I gotta thank Replicate for sending me their 1942 slash 43 arcade cabinet right here. Has the wood grain on it. it even uh, comes with a little extra controller. These are well put together. Uh, thanks, Sam. Oh, it's a limited edition. I didn't realize that. Limited I think they're edition. all technically limited editions. So, thanks so much for that. Ian likes the replicates, obviously. I love the Dragon Lair, Dragon's Lair one that uh, a listener sent me. It's so fucking cool. Then uh, I was at Too Many Games in Pennsylvania. Uh, that was an experience. Three days. Thanks to everyone that came out there. Uh, and we'll talk more about uh, sort of like the, the remnants of, of, of Too Many Games in a later topic. Because it was shocking to see. Uh, the state of retro games there we'll just say but it was a great event uh everyone was masked up i felt safe being there um it was fine i'm sure most people in pennsylvania are vaccinated by now it's like up to almost 70 percent fully vaccinated uh, i believe in the state it's, it's getting up there but um it was full friday was was really f- full saturday and sunday i uh, sold a lot of books sold uh, a bunch of cu podcast pins Eight people, eight or nine people asked me for RBI baseball stickers. I forgot to bring RBI baseball stickers. I'm sorry out there. I've got some of those RBI baseball stickers. I said, no, that's the one thing I forgot. I knew I forgot something in the back of my head. Double fisting over here. Uh, and, and it was that. Um, but it was good to see some of the vendors I'd seen in the past. Uh, real quick, there's a GoFundMe for Forgotten Freshness, who are unfortunately uh, robbed at the event, uh, cash stolen. And, and Frank from Forgotten Freshness is one of the nicest uh, you know, dealers of games I've ever met. At yeah, super nice guy. Love the dude. Um, so they have a GoFundMe going out. You can just search for Forgotten Freshness when you go on GoFundMe. It'll come up, and anything you can do to support them would be appreciated. They were robbed of thirty thousand dollars. Fuck. So fuck. That's devastating. But we're gonna rally together and help them out. Uh, I hope those scumbags fall into a fucking hole. Yeah. Um. It's unfortunate. You have to watch out for people like that. Um. But uh, other than that, um. Uh, it was it was great to see everyone. Um, I, I saw that one vendor I always, I always mentioned. He is the game doctor on Instagram. Uh, his name is I believe Mike, and he's the one who always has like I finally got one. I don't have it out here. 
the, the mock-up little Mike Tyson ugly dolls they showed at like an event back in like 88 in um, Vegas to stuff like that always has the promo stuff you, you've seen him there before you, you would know what like he always, he had like a like a display for like the magazines for Nintendo Power that you would put in like a shop with the peg holes on like stuff that you got to search around for this stuff you know so I finally got the Mike Tyson's uh, little ugly doll with like a made-up belt and like invest it's like that big it's hideous looking but it looks like Mike Tyson so I got that other than that I didn't spend a huge amount on stuff but uh, shout out to uh, uh, Daryl Best, who we, we see, uh, you know, he, he leaves comments for us. Um, also, he brought me Buffalo pizza, which unfortunately some people dragged on Twitter, but it was tasty. What uh, do you expect from a slice of pizza that fucking traveled from it, yeah, Buffalo? it traveled the whole state, but yeah. it, or more than one state. It traveled a state and a half, but it was, it was tasty. Thank you so much. He also sold me. He gave me a great deal on a Switch Lite, and I almost bought a Switch Lite. I almost bought a Switch Lite when they did the refurbished ones. He gave me a great deal on this. And, like, the reason why I don't take my big switch is that the big switch is a little cumbersome to travel, throw it in, like, your, your backpack. This is, this is size of, like, sizably smaller, and I don't worry about this much with the Joy-Cons falling sizably off. Sizably smaller? Yeah, sizably smaller. Noticeably smaller? Uh, noticeably smaller. So I'm very happy. Thank you for the good deal. Um, like, he gave me, like, a bro deal and a half on this. So I'm very happy. And there's already, like, a Final Fantasy game on this. I guess I can wipe it. But I have, I have most of my games. Are, most of my games are physical that I have, so I won't have a problem playing it on this. But I can always just wipe it. I also noticed that you keep taking the best sticker uh, and sliding it over towards your side. I said this is mine. Yeah. Uh, uh, so Friend my, Antoinette Carey. Yeah, yeah so she, she's my, my con waifu. Uh, you know, she always is. If you see me at a convention with a, you know, with a, a half Irish, half Italian gal, uh, that's, that's Antoinette. And she, uh, you know, we partner up at tables. We look after each other's stuff. She's a great artist. Uh, and she made some stickers and gave them to us. Take a look in a book. Ian's favorite one is the cursed kirby with arms and legs probably yep that's that's one that's that's horrifying but hysterical what else did you, you got uh, i'm also her? going to put the but for me it was tuesday uh, uh i actually Julia vonnie from might Street steal Fighter that one from she, me oh, she likes that i think vonnie will probably steal the not today snorlax one let me show that one uh we have a bill nye and then a quote from spy kids too which i've never seen <laughs> But it's, do you think God stays in his heaven because he, too, lives in fear of what he's created? Uh, I've heard Spy Kids 2 is a very strange movie. <laughs> yeah, so these are all original art artworks by, by her. We always, we always do sushi together uh, there. And you can check her out at Etsy.com slash shop slash East of Haven if you want to check out some work. She also has T-shirts there as well. Um, rest in peace, Rob. Right there. Uh, well, going back to the event, it was weird to be at the event. I'm the old man at the club now at the event. So I'm past, past uh, too many games. Lots changed in two years. A lot. Even if I was to say three years. And you'd have the old guard be at too many games, you know, as the guests there. You'd have people like uh, Norm and Pixel Dan and Gerard there and other folks that, you know, you oh, were on YouTube back like 10 years. Uh, when I went to went there now, most of the guests I I didn't recognize some of these these guests. I had no idea who some of these people were. Uh, they're super young, like so. When you do that, the hangouts at night, they do like the hangout party thing. <laughs> the average age of everyone was like twenty four. It seemed like twenty four, twenty five. Like I was arguably the oldest person in rooms at certain times, like by by like a good degree. Probably like me and James. I'm older than James by two months. Yeah, so like. I could have been the oldest one there. 
People yeah. like young faces. We're yeah, getting it's, old. We're it's, being put it, out of pasture. It, it was that country song. It's a, it's a young man's town. That's a country song from like 15 years ago. It I sounds believe. like it could be. Uh, but it's, that's what it's about. It, it, it's uh, it's great. Speaking of that, I saw you know uh, good old Scott the Waz. Nice nice kid. Super nice kid. Uh, you remember me from a couple of years ago when I spoke taught him. The the fact that like he, he even in two years he's blown up so much in just two years. Like two years ago he was pretty popular. You know, two years ago, two and a half years was the last time I saw him. And two and a half years, through through the orbit, super talented, super funny, super witty. Uh, like I call him a kid. He's like 24, but like to me, he's like a kid compared to like, you know, old timers like me. But I ran into him. Uh, Brad Cinema Snob, haven't seen him in years, said hi to him. Super nice. Uh, yeah, and, I, and I, I didn't spend a huge amount of money, but we'll get into that uh, a, a bit later. But you can spend a lot of money at ultimatenintendo.com if you want. Oh, you can, shit. You, you can get those RBI baseball stickers that I forgot to Get break, it, get it. I forgot to, to get there. You can get the SNES Super Nintendo Guidebook, the DVDs, not for resale, and the CU Podcast pins, which we sold a bunch of at, at uh, Too Many Games. And I'm going to be back on Twitch tomorrow, Wednesday. Twitch.tv slash country code. And I'm going to be at Retropalooza. October twenty third and twenty fourth. That's like a week and a half away already. I have no time, no time, no rest for the weary. Right? Let me just say this: I can't. This event, all these events, take something out of me. But I needed like a, I needed like a a, uh, a warm up to this event. By Saturday afternoon, I was like out of it. This is a Friday, Saturday, Sunday event. Too many games it was. I was out of it by Saturday afternoon. You knows how much this takes takes out of you. But like, it, yeah, I was like, whoa, I feel older. I feel older by the year. Like like, like this two year layoff. Yeah. This two year layoff. It felt like lots change in two years. Not just how everyone is and how we act, but like physically, I'm just like. <laughs> yeah. No, it exhausts you. I mean, going going to Disney was. I mean, probably the first real big thing I've done since. Was it was it big big? Uh, no, um, you've killed that. Uh, <laughs> since. Big, uh, big uh, <laughs> um. Probably the first real big thing I've done since the pandemic. And, I mean, Vonnie and I were just I mean, fucking exhausted. I it was mean, exhausted. by the time we started Disney on Tuesday, I felt like we were already on our way out of the park. We were just finished. And being around people can be exhausting, too. So forgot to bring up uh, the, 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 the pizza that Dara brought had those caramelized little mini. Oh, uh, Gadget. G- gadget? Gadget. Yeah, okay. This is my little pin I got at Disney. Little. It's gigantic. Not into furry stuff, though. Anyway, because just making that clear, so he just mailed a bunch of stuff he didn't ask for. I was uh, just funning around. That's it's always interesting when you're you're on Twitter looking at news and new releases. Depending on what it is, you might see some images you don't want to see on your timeline. Just just when you're scrolling about video game news or what have you, you might end up seeing engorged pieces of of. of, uh, Oh, I was flipping through my Twitter feed in line, and I think someone was looking over my shoulder because I was like, "Oh, that's porn," and I heard someone behind me go, "Whoa." <laughs> To make clear, I wasn't looking for it. it I was wasn't. It was just there. Yeah, that it happened. They slip through sometimes. Yeah, sometimes they slip through. Yeah, people I retweet report, shit. I report them because, like, it's if it's not, if they just tag like the like like, like the, the item like the news item. Like that shit. That's not right. I don't want to see that on my timeline. You know, all fun and games, but not. I'm oh, looking for other stuff. Do you want to talk about this? The original GTA games being delisted I digitally. Don't. I mean, you can if you want. Can you pretend to eat for the podcast? <laughs> yes. um, so, yeah, so this is actually not great. The original GTA games are being delisted and um, they're being replaced, you said, with uh, the def- definitive edition. Definitive edition ones. Definitive. So, these obviously exist in physical form out there, but it's uh, 
it's not great to see. This reminds me of like uh, like the Star Wars shit, where you want to be able to access the version that you want to get a hold of. Didn't they do this with one of the Halo games? Like Halo 2? Didn't they do it with, like, with some of the Halo stuff? Well, Halo uh, has an anniversary edition, and Halo, and then there's the uh, Master Chief collection that has like kind of enhanced versions of all of them. But uh, yeah, so this is just going to make it harder to get a hold of the original versions. And who knows? For I mean, some people, future, yeah. yeah, for digital in the future. And people may not like these editions. They may not like the changes. Um, I wish there was always just a way to be able to get the original version of something in addition to the enhanced version. Because enhancing something is 100% going to be subjective. Yeah, and... graphical upgrade, sure. But maybe I like the original graphics. Maybe right. I, it's keychain to me and I like that look. I like the PS2 ever look. I don't know? think this will be necessarily as bad as something like... Uh... You know, not being able to get the original version of Star Wars anywhere, but sure. it, it it it's it's worrisome. Sure, um, set for according to this like, video game chronicle remaster set for December box release. It's going to be seventy bucks. I well, there's it, also that. I mean, they're uh, tra- they're forcing you to pay more for yeah. these newer versions, so, mo- so you can't get the older ones. Yeah, I, and so as a money grab, it's kind of understand eh, it. These companies put in time and money to yes. put these out. It's not, not free. It's not charity. But I don't know, maybe bundle the original with it, give people an option to have both. Like, like maybe do that. This is a legality thing. They can't do that. It's, it's, just, um, it's just not good. I don't want to live in a time where you cannot easily, 50 years from now, be like, oh, I want to play. I want to go back to the see like the original classic, you know, Grand Theft Auto 3. Even just for comparison. But like. They don't. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why people are so pissed about the Star Wars thing. You're trying yeah. to wipe it from existence. Right. Like, have it available. If you want to do your, I don't know, 14th w- version, George, which thankfully now it's finally out of your hands, have the original one available still. Like, it'd, be like, it'd be like all the awful, you know, recoloring of the old movies that Turner tried to do and try to get rid of the original black and whites. Like, okay, you want to do the awful coloring, which thankfully almost everyone was up in arms about. Because it looks at like the time. shit. It's like, that's not how they were shot. You know, keep the originals there. Like, there's no, there's never... It's never bad to have more versions of something available. So what what is what is the GTA what does it cost to get the, the older ones? Like 20, 30 bucks? What does it cost? I gotta look that up. Like but yeah, not 70, I'm guessing. Right. Uh for that. All right. Well, there you go. At least we get a GTA on Switch, right? We get a new GTA on Switch, I predicted. Uh, that's interesting. Uh Best Buy is charging for PS5 stock access. This comes from Ars Technica. Our pals at Ars Technica. Um, so they have an annual 200-year membership. And Best Buy always had a membership, right? On a smaller scale. Best uh, Buy has had various membership programs in the past. And without even getting into this one, um, my, my, my response to Best Buy is, is, fuck you. Because they did a game one previously that they fucking dropped. Oh, that's right. They, they dropped, dropped within like no time at all because they realized they weren't making any money. Sure. Amazon was doing that thing for a little while where it was like giving the 20 percent off pre-orders to get people to go up there yeah. and everyone thought that it was going to be a forever thing that they, that they needed to compete with oh no best buy made it and then amazon was like this was really just so that we could kind of let people know that we're selling games now sure, and you can marketing. pre-order them and we're not going to do this so best buy and gamestop you know had their whatever they were at the time that was trying to compete and they they dropped it so i don't tr- whatever this is i would tell people granted best buy 
accepted the terms and conditions of the people who joined. But I would not until that date hit. So even though they dropped the program, they still allowed people to receive those benefits. I would not trust Best Buy to keep this running. Um, it's, it's just it, – it, it's so cynical. Another time you use it where you have to spend money to access a new item to get like in the club to buy something new. I don't know if, it's, if there's any anti-scalping thing involved with this. You know, maybe if that's the case where you got to spend 200 bucks. I mean, or maybe they see it like, well, all these scalpers are making all this extra money off them, so we're going to make $200 extra off of someone so the scalpers can't. Maybe that's like what what the goal is, which is going to work out because a lot of people are going to do this to get this for Christmas, obviously. So it's a $200 annual service. Benefits like round-the-clock tech support. For what? Up to two years of protection on Best Buy purchases. Okay. Including Apple Care Plus insurance, which can cost two hundred bucks on its own. All right, if you're buying your Apple stuff at Best Buy, okay, and member discounted prices. But then they're they're throwing in exclusive access to the season's hardest to find products. The Best Buy retail site had the five hundred dollar disc drive model PS fives available for total. To, this is called Total Tech members to buy Monday morning with the consoles gated behind an exclusive access event paywall. Instead of selling out instantly, its stock lasted between ninety minutes and two hours. A relatively glacial sales pace compared to the insane demand for the hardware that consumers have faced since it hit stores last November. See what you did, scalpers. See what you assholes fucking did. So you're not getting extra money now. Best Buy's getting it. So there you go. It's capitalism. Um, I'm hoping they still have like a, a limit on how many you can get. on. Uh, 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 they have to from this paywall. Otherwise, scalpers will pay the 200 bucks and just still get, get a thousand with their bot. But I guess at least the extra clicks makes it harder maybe for the bots to get in there. And to, you know, scrape through the site and, and to auto-do everything. That's what I'm guessing. God, Best Buy. I used to like you, Best Buy. You used to be my go-to. I used to prefer you over Circuit City back in the day in those, in those wars that you had. I used to go to you for uh, sometimes for uh, Black Friday events. I used to go there. I used to shop you. What do you think, Ian? Is it sort of like, eh, kind of sucks? Yeah, I just, I, I'm not into it. Pay more money to what? get more to, to get access to them. It, it's the same as well, scalping. It, it, it's just it, it, it looks different. It's just Best Buy getting the money. Yeah, it just it, which, it, which I guess is better. I mean, because honestly, you might be paying less overall, and you're going to be guaranteed a product from them. A scalper, who the fuck knows what happens? Yeah, but, but if in, at the end, if I need to pay seven hundred dollars to get that under the tree, it costs me seven hundred dollars. They're scalping their own shit. But but maybe there'll be other items. You get. I, I don't. I can't put a positive spin on it. Sucks. Yeah. It's uh, dumb. What's good though is Evercade's update. Just uh just got update is out there. New OS update. Uh new features and I saw like they added some nice little features uh, with more game descriptions. Uh there's there's like overlays when you're playing which, which are like a nice graphical uh, overlays. And the one thing, the one big thing, the big big thing that was missing controller mapping is right. now, is now there and that's like that's it. That's all I thought was missing. And that's coming to the handheld as well. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's fantastic. And there's a bunch of other stuff there. It looks like, it, like this is a major overhaul of it. Yeah, the UI uh, looks pretty slick. So that's good. And uh, unfortunately, what, the verses, there's a slight delay on that. So if I remember correctly what I read, if I'm interpreting correctly, there is going to be a, a delay of about two months getting it to the U.S. Uh, because of shipping. So I think the U.S. and Canada is, is supposed to expect a two-month delay. Um, it's a bummer. But, I, you know, I always 
try to justify why I'm okay with some delays and why I'm not okay with others. Um, this one is a product that is clearly coming out. They've already posted pictures of the system. This is it, more of a shipping thing. In boxes, wrapped, ready to go on pallets. They have it. It's done. It's not, you yeah. know, a pie-in-the-sky idea. It's actually coming. Um, but, yeah, that is a bummer for people, especially who wanted it for Christmas. But there's only so much they can do with shipping right now. Uh, they said Blazing Entertainment's managing director, Andrew Byatt, pointed to increased Increased pressure that has affected lorry freight congestion at ports and shipping lines that get stuck around the world. Yeah, literally, like there was an article I saw about like uh, ports outside of LA. There's like a hundred ships waiting to get in. Like there's yeah, there's just there's not enough workers to un- offload the stuff. So like yeah, the stuff's gotten produced. It's just on ships, you know. So you can't do much about that. So it looks like December for Europe, and then it looks like yeah, January, uh, November European, and then an estimate release between December. 8th and 17th for European stock. And then uh, it was originally planned for early November. So that's pushed back a month and then an extra month. January 14th is the current plan for U.S. and Canada. So there you go. It's 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 going to get there. They they, they, they soldered them all together. Or they, they, they produced and They went on the production line. They all went down the conveyor belt in the boxes. They're there. Um, I want to talk about this other Metroid Dread little thing real quick. So Kotaku found themselves in some hot water. Not, uh, not shocking. Again, this past week, <laughs> um, I think there was a lot of pearl clutching on both sides. But I, 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 I do see, I do see where some people are coming from on this. So uh, they ran an article called "Metroid Dread is already running on Switch emulators." Uh, Subhead is only days after release, the latest entry. Nintendo's classic franchise is running in 4K using an emulator. Um, I did not read the original version of the article. I'm going to jump real quick to the end where they talk about an update. They said an earlier version of the story was understood by many readers to be a direct suggestion to illegally download this just released game. I have not read that version. I don't know what it said. The version that's up here uh, does not really suggest that. However, <clears throat> here's my statement on this. Oh, em- statement. Em- emulation in general. Um, I'm 100% for emulation. Love emulation. Love emulators, love ROMs. Extremely important to, and this is key, preservation of games. Um, and yes, as I've said before, uh, and this is an instance where Pat and I slightly disagree. Uh, if you don't have something out there, if, if I, I, I like to support creators, especially if the original creator is going to be supported by what I uh, am purchasing. Um, if you have a way for me to buy something, from you, whether it be a movie, music, a game, I am almost like uh, almost a hundred percent guaranteed going to give you the cash for it, music, etc. If you do not give me a way to purchase it from you, I am going to go find it. I'm just that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go find it. It's out there. Um, Wait, what do we disagree on there? Uh, I I believe in access. You don't. No, I don't. I don't think access is like the right of every person constantly over every iteration of of hardware. Whereas I, I kind of do. Um, I will say this, though. The Kotaku article, uh, timing-wise, optically, is really fucking bad and really stupid. Just just stupid to uh, run it and, and not expect a backlash. They talk about how they think their readers are adults. Yes, but what you are also doing here, which is where a lot of this backlash is coming from, is you are talking about a game that just came out in a series that has not had an entry in, fuck, 15 years, 16 years, 14, whatever. It's been a long, long time. 
Um, maybe 10 whenever Metroid Other M came out. It's been a while. People have fought for it, and to immediately talk about emulating it um, after it comes out is kind of a slap in the face to developers, I think, who worked very hard on it. Like I said, yeah. I am I am very much for supporting developers. If you are a Metroid fan and you want Metroid games to continue, and this is just what it comes down to, and I saw Mike Drucker, who I think is very funny on Twitter, said the same thing, and even he got backlash from it. But it, But it's the truth. At the end of the day, if you want more Metroid games, you got to buy them. Yeah. And you got to look like you're excited about them. I, uh, talking about emulation, uh, emulating it two days after it came out, I don't care if it's in 4K. I don't care if you're upset that Nintendo hasn't released a pro system. Support the developers of the game. Support I'd, them. I have to point out, this article is by uh, Zach uh, Zuizen, who also did the great uh, Miko article, running it down about, about a month ago. So my my main takeaway is this. He's written some good articles. I just yeah. think the timing on this is real fucking poor. My 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 takeaway is this. Who are you servicing by writing this article like this? Who like this game just comes out. People were were wanting a, a Metroid like this. Like what what how do you benefit the readers, your readership by telling them it's already running on Switch emulators? It's it, it would almost it would be like a movie news site telling everyone where to get a, the pirate movie, the new James Bond movie just came out. Like that's like, or I mean, not the, even that, but a, uh, but a, a movie uh, site re, re, just reminding people, hey, by the way, by the way, pirate to, Bay to, yeah, It's just like, what business do you want to be in at that point? Like, are you in the business of your readership pirating brand new? This isn't pirating stuff like say like twenty years ago. I have no problem with you want to emulate something from the Genesis or from whatever, from, from Trouble Graphics, go for it. But, like, this is brand new. This just came out. I've never seen an article like this before from a major game journalism site to say, like, hey, it's running great on this emulator. I, I, I didn't even know the state of Switch emulators. You know why? I shouldn't need to know because I'm playing the system. I have, like, like it's current. Like, this is something you might worry about, you know, 20 years later, right? 15 years later. Right. Like, like this shouldn't be a top priority, at least right now. Like, it's, it's just a weird angle to me. Yeah. Very you know strange. what I mean? Like it's like why? Like what? Like what purpose are you serving by by doing it? Uh, the video one, the video that they're embedding here was blocked by Nintendo. Was that? I guess that was it probably being shown playing on the emulator. I think it was yeah. probably shown, yeah, running in four. Because okay. Nintendo's like, we're gonna lose a fucking fuck ton of money. You know? No. Now here's the thing. I don't think Nintendo's gonna lose a fuck ton of money. Well, that's their thinking in blocking it. Yes, but I don't. That's the other thing. I actually, and like I said, I've I've been I worked in retail video game retail for 15 years i don't think piracy is actually going to um take a significant dent out of this i don't think a lot most pirates weren't gonna buy it anyway but i still think optically it's just very fucking strange to run it two days after so i mean websites like these all the time complain about uh old series that you know companies don't bring back and then they you know they bring one back and then immediately they're talking about emulate you can't you can't do that this is how the article originally ends there are so many good reasons to be grateful for pirates, emulators, modders, and hackers. Absolutely. Yes. For doing what so many big publishers won't, keeping old games alive. But, yes. then, but then Zach says, clearly that's not the case for Metroid Dread, a brand new game. Then why write the article about it? Like, what, like, again, who are you serving? And then finally he ends with, but what is it? But this is an enormous issue Nintendo has to face given the relative technical inferiority of its current console. I don't understand that angle. What does one have to do with the other? What is the technical inferiority of the because of the this, have to do with Because you can emulate it at 4K and their systems don't. So that's where they're trying to... But, but I, I, don't, I don't buy that. I don't, that to me seems like a really weird excuse. That's a stretcher and excuse for piracy. to me. Yes. 
Oh, well, they won't let me do it in 4K, so I'm going to pirate so it. So I'm going to do it on my much more and expensive it's, it PC? It doesn't have to be piracy. They, I mean, they mentioned uh, you buy it, but still, it's, it's, it's just, like I said, it's how it looks. It was very bad looking. Uh, their update said an earlier version of this story was understood by many readers to be a direct. Yeah, that's what I read. We regret this interpretation. But, like, how like how am I going to interpret it otherwise? Because you're well, I don't think we've seen that version. That's what I'm saying. But like, that's how the the, the the what what you just read is how the actual article still ends. Yeah, but that's the thing. It's like I don't know. It's a weird article, and I don't know, at the I, end of the I've day, never... it sounds like I want to switch pro, and I'm angry about it. Yeah, that's. I mean, how else can it come off when it says like this isn't the case? Uh, why would you? Yeah, that's obviously, just how I read it. Yeah. The... I don't have much more to say about it, but nope, it's a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a miss right here. Yep. I, and again, it's not, it's not to say that enough people are going to, um, part is that it won't make enough money for them to do another Metro game or a sequel, but it does it does not look good as a major. No, it looks site. bad as a, as a, as a game site. It just does. So there you go. Kotaku. You, 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 once, once I thought I was out, you pulled me back in. <laughs> We win one, we lose one. We win one, we lose one. This portion of the CU Podcast is sponsored by Retrobit. Retrobit has partnered up with Elden Pixels, an indie game developer, to publish the NES version of their game, Always Awakening. Originally released on Steam for PC, here you get to see what happens after that version. There are new rooms to explore, new challenges, and so much more. In true Retrobit fashion, they have made it into a collector's edition that comes with plenty of exclusive collectibles. On top of their high-quality work, this Always Awakening game was remastered to fit the NES perfectly. They've actually taken the game and had to rework the whole thing specifically for this release. So you know you're getting some quality old-school gameplay right there. In Always Awakening, you traverse dangerous dungeons, meet interesting and fun characters, and explore the world in this 8-bit adventure game. And in true Retrobit fashion, they are doing something totally different in what you don't see other companies doing. They are making what they call a digital version of Always Awakening that combines aspects of both physical and digital games. In this digital, the collectible and retractable Zoe 8 gig USB contains the ROM, but still includes exclusive extras and displayable packaging, all in order to provide a digital experience while continuing to support these indie game developers. How great is that? If you want to keep it old school and stick to the classics, there's also the NES version available that comes with all kinds of collectibles, including a full-color manual, just like we remember. Whichever way you're planning to go, right now is the time to reserve yours as they are available for pre-order now until October 17th. Visit retro-bit.com always-awakening to see all the places offering both versions while they are available. And follow them on social media at RetroBitGaming to stay updated on all their new releases. All right, Ian. Yes. Uh, it was a banner day, October 10th, 2021. Uh, it, was finally, it was finally revealed. The, the Intellivision Amico physical games. No, no, no. I, I mean physical media. No, no. I mean physical products were revealed. On the Intellivision Amico YouTube channel, I received an email. I'm on the mailing list. There was also YouTubers talking about them with, with, with their exclusive access because they're friends with Tommy. They are talking about the exclusive Intellivision Amico physical products. Um, most of the of the feedback was was a puzzling sort of look. Uh, speaking of Kotaku, 
they were puzzled. Intellivision is selling NFT consoles for a game, excuse, NFT games for a console that ain't even out yet. Um, the same on on uh, another site I saw. So, what are these uh, physical products? They are exactly what most people, including us, predicted them to be. What you get is a little cardboard box with the artwork that they revealed before. You get a collector coin, which people like us predicted you get a coin. You get a lenticular. We predicted a trinket, and you get a yeah. and you get a code. I I predicted. A, I, I think I predicted oh. a coin. I, I think I said coin. I'm gonna take credit. You get a coin. I don't think you did. Okay, you get a coin. You get a lenticular card of the artwork. You remember those lenticular, you know, baseball cards they used to have in cards where you go back yeah. and forth. And you get what everyone said it was going to be an RFID card that enables you to download the game to your console to play when the console is eventually released and when the game is eventually finished. To code in a box is the trinket, which is what we said it was going to be the whole time. That's really all that needs to be said. It's fucking stupid. You can argue that it's not a code in the box all you want. It's simply just a delivery method. It is an RFID chip that is holding probably a six-digit code or an eight-digit code when you tap it to your Miko, which, by the way, they can't show you working because they don't have a functioning fucking system or ecosystem yet. And then it downloads the game. And then, because Tommy Tommy is not one to miss out on buzzwords or hype, when we have no idea, he's still doubling down on that. This is going to somehow mint an NFT onto your system. Um, from a blockchain. From yeah. a blockchain. We don't yeah. know what blockchain. We don't know how transferring of these licenses is going to occur. Because, frankly, I don't think he fucking knows. I think this is desperation setting in, and he needs to move units. And to, uh, to, to that point... Um, they are desperately, desperately in need of money because you cannot buy these by the piece. First off, we were exactly right when we predicted they're going to sell these immediately. Yeah. They weren't waiting for the cons to come out. They need money. So they are selling them immediately. Because people uh, were clamoring for it. No, no, one was no, no. your 100 close friends who will tell you anything you want to hear said, Tommy, we'll give you some money in exchange for these boxes. Yeah. So I, we've predicted everything. I did not predict that you could not buy these individually at 1999. No, I There's could not them. see that. I thought that they'd be like, okay, buy whatever you want. You want to buy Moon Patrol and Finnick and Fox? That's fine. You want to buy biplanes and Dino Blaster? Okay. They are forcing you to buy packs of four at a time for these. Because 20 is not worth their money. They want the, they want, they they need need the 80. big bucks. They need 80 for you. If, if you buy all eight, you get $10 off. You get them for 150 Oh, that's fun. Uh, they need $80 from you at least for the promise, which we'll get into. These aren't game licenses at this point, for the promise of being able to download a game in the far-off future we don't know about when the, when the game console is done. And it's cynical. It is exactly what we thought was going to happen. It's disgusting because you are, in essence, crowdfunding the company to keep continuing its life, to hopefully get to the console and to finish the game development to play the games that you might be able to access with what you just purchased. That's what this is. For a system that has been delayed three times and was supposedly on the launch pad last year, but you still can't actually see this physical game physical game activating on a console. And they're still, and they're still trying to hire people to do work on the console to get it to fully function, and for the ecosystem, and for the e-commerce, and things of that nature. We talked about the, the, the job listings a few weeks ago. Between, so we don't know if these games are finished. 
Like, we don't know if the games are finished. Well, they're when, selling you a copy of Moon Patrol that, as we saw two weeks ago, still has filler text. Yeah, two weeks ago, it had N64 Star Fox text in the game. But, but you can buy the promise of playing that game at some point. Obviously, people uh, are, are like, what is this? Um, what's going on? And the, the NFT thing, some people were trying to spin it as a positive thing. The only semi-positive article about this was on Nintendo Life saying they're admitting like, oh, it's strange, you know, to sell, you know, games to a console that's not out yet. But, you know, this NFT thing might be interesting. And I guess the theory will be you'll be able to transfer ownership. You'd be able to like on the blockchain transfer the ownership digitally, digitally to someone else. I guess if you transfer the car to someone else, but like that brings up so many other issues. First off, for, for to download these games, the server's got to be online. It's not physical media. You got to download the servers, right? If they're if they're online, then if you got to transfer ownership in the future, there's got to be the blockchain has to be online somewhere, right. For that to happen, we don't know what what it's going to be attached to, uh, what format. So you're creating so much more technical complications for a console that's supposed to be simple. One of the four buzzwords, simple, you know, affordable. This isn't simple. This isn't like, a, a, you know, a grandma sort of thing that she has to worry about. But then you can say, well, Pat, this isn't for them. This is for the collectors that, that grew up with the Intellivision, a 40-year-old console. Okay, that's fine. You're not giving them physical media, though. You're giving them an RFID card that looks like the crappy old Intellivision cards that had no artwork at all, which they are mimicking here. You know, one of the few, few retro consoles that had no artwork like this, the Master System, just has, you know, like a, like a, like a colored label, like a red label with, like, block letters on it. Uh, I, I understand that. But, again, you are trying to keep the company alive by buying these and purchasing these. Right. That's what it comes down to. You're believing another promise from a company that has lied to you multiple, multiple times. Um, I will say about the Nintendo Life article... Uh, Thomas Whitehead. I did read the article, and I don't think the article was uh, quite as usually fluffy as the articles from Nintendo Life are. There are some concerns about the uh, the uh, eco impact of NFTs, but what I do think is weird is that uh, Damien McFerrin, the Nintendo Life uh, editor, is in the uh, comments over defending this, just over defending this, and I. I it, 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 it's weird. It's a weird look to see. Um, in response to one of the, something that someone said, similar to what you had said, basically, I would love for people to figure out a way to buy and sell and move rights for digital games. I think it would be a good thing to see at some point. Sure. But like you said, you still need that network to be up. This is not a solution to preservation, and it's not a solution to digital games. So someone said, once the servers are shut down, the physical media is useless. It's no better or more physical than a digital library with Sony, Microsoft, or Steam. Damien replies, that's certainly true of the servers, but at the moment you can't exchange digital games on any other platform. So this approach is different, irrespective of what you think of the Amico or Tommy. And you can't do it on the Amico because it's not a fucking thing that exists yet. They're, I mean, they're taking it as, 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 as word, as gospel, that this... You have no proof that any of this is actually happening. Jamie R. says this system will probably never come out. Also, why report this on a Nintendo website? Uh, Damien McFarren responds, we've been following this since it was first confirmed that more than one former Nintendo executive was involved with the system. Uh, Damien, you might want to do some research on that and see if that still you know, was actually a real thing or just they just got people in front of, ca of a camera. You might want to look into some of these details. You're the editor of, of Nintendo Life. 
Plus, this is an interesting approach that could have wider ramifications for digital purchases on other systems, including Nintendo's. I don't see Nintendo going into NFT territory anytime soon. Well, and it, it, it could. It could. But let's let the company that has not held up any promise let's yet Let's see so them far. actually fulfill something Let's first. see them fulfill something. Sure. It's, it's just bizarre. It's just I don't, I'm not sure why, why he's caping for Tommy Tallarico in the, in the Intellivision Amico so hard. And he's come after us behind the scenes, not behind the scenes, for us being critical in the past. So there's something going on here. I just don't know what, like, what it is. A personal friendship? Did he get, did he get a ride in Tommy's car as well? I have no idea. No, he said in, uh, in another comment that he has not had a ride in the Ferrari. He's not had a ride in the Ferrari yet. Okay, that's... He has not received a shirt either. He's not received a shirt yet. Um, the, but the response overall has not been, has not been positive. No. Uh, John Riggs did a video about this, revealing it. He got this on 1010. He's friends with Tommy. He got early access to this. He, he got insider info. Uh, and, the t- and the top comments are just like, many people, including television fans, have argued that it should not have been called physical media, which was done by Intellivision way back when. Yes, and that's what I was going to say. I like John. And, and Tommy. I'm, not, I'm, not going to get in, I'm not going to really get into this any further than this, but John, it was Tommy who said... This was physical media for years up until the last, I think, three, like four months, three, four months. Yes. He finally got it through his head that that wasn't going to fly. You can't leave. changing yeah. his definition. But, John, he said physical media. It was on the website. Ever. It was on the website. He came after Ian originally because Ian, remember what Ian said way back? I don't think there's physical media media on this. And he attacked Ian for saying that. And there's also an interview that shows where he says previously that it's going to be SD cards or something like that. There's an it's... interview where like, he's talking about how there's an SD card slot on the back. So, yes, this was supposed to be physical media at some point. Uh, from Dracovania. So, basically, they're selling cardboard with the promise of games that are not even finished for a console that's indefinitely delayed. In bundles of $80 minimum, Soldier Boy would be proud. Uh, this is this is the only reason I'm reading this, read this. It's not self indulgent. It's one of the top comments. The only good thing that would come from the Amico are the Tommy voicemails and Pat the Ace Punk's channel that come in weekly. They're all hilarious. <laughs> I look forward to a new one every week. Um, you can bring it to a friend's house, like someone else you know would actually have one. Uh, yeah, it's not good. Uh, and then Tommy actually did say they said you see the video with him and John Alvarado, the engineer. Poor John has to put up with Tommy. Um, they, they think they said something like if you worry about. Uh, Amico not existing. They'll have side servers or something to keep the ecosystem alive. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I'm sure that's not just something he pulled out of his ass. Sure. Side servers. Side servers. Sure. It's like a, it's like a side dish. Um, someone said, this is physical in the most shallow and empty way. How dis- disappointing. I'd rather have cartridges in the actual style of the original games. They mentioned the cardboard is biodegrade- biodegradable in that video for some reason. Um which, which is just weird. Someone said that's good because they'll probably end up in dumpsters. Uh, but it, it, it was bizarre. I saw in a comment section somewhere, someone tried to defend it by saying, well, it's weird to talk about how the packaging is... It's weird to talk about how the packaging is biodegradable for something that is supposed to be a collector's edition. That is true. I mean, technically, isn't all cardboard biodegradable at some yes. point? It's also weird to talk about how your packaging is environmentally friendly uh, and then immediately jump into talking about NFTs. I mean, just fucking tone That deafness. is true, too. That is Just true. Absolute tone deafness. Uh, talk about tone deafness. Did you see what Tommy said like in the first 10 seconds of the video for his family-friendly console? He had a seven reference. He said, well, what's in the box? No. So tone deaf. I'm not going to harp on this. I, but well, yeah, I'm not. I don't harp on this. I don't really care about the family-friendly but, shit. But in theory, the CEO of your family-friendly console should be making a reference to a hard R-rated movie that has to do with the decapitation 
of one of the main characters, uh, spoilers, uh, wives in the movie. Not spoiling seven. It's been out for 23 years or so. But when I heard that, I'm just like, this is why you need a PR person running this. You don't have Reggie fils making references to horror movies while they're presenting their kid games to you. Seven's more of a crime noir. It's hard R, though. It's, it's violent. Oh, it is. It's, it's graphic stuff. fucking amazing. It's an amazing movie, movie by the way. Yeah. One of the, first, one of the first, you know. One, one of my one favorites. Of, yeah, that was a big movie in high school. You see my point, though. You need a PR person. Um, well, I guess this, uh, someone and Chris said, well, I'm, I guess I'm not getting an Amico, and if I pre-ordered it, it, I would be dropping my pre-order. This is not physical media. Not even a manual. It's 100% digital. I'm not happy. Shame on you, intelligence. I would argue they can't do a manual if some, some of these games aren't probably even finished yet. Well, that's exactly it. They can't do a manual because that's right. going to change. And that, that, that is... And plus, it's more money to do them. Um, but manuals, I mean, I feel like that's really... When people get a physical, that's really something that they want. That's a bonus. That, that's, that's a big thing. Well, that there's... goes a long way. Um, I, when I talked about Evercade positively... Uh, in the past, one of the things I mentioned is that the cases are hard plastic clamshells. They're like the what? Genesis cases. I got one right here. Yeah. They, oh, look at this. They don't fall apart. And what's inside? Uh, uh, a a full nice manual. manual. Full color manual. A nice manual. 15 page manual, full color. There's some effort to write these, obviously, and to do the layout. But this is what collectors appreciate. Forget More your coin. S- for, for, forget your lenticular fucking card. How about a manual? This is what we remember from games back in the day. There was no coins in games back in the 80s and 90s. We had manuals, Tommy. But we had manuals. That's a really good point that you made that I didn't even think about. You can't write manuals for games that aren't finished. No. If you, if you don't have your fucking story done for you know, the heavy lore, the deep lore of Moon Patrol, you can't do a manual. Or maybe it's because all the games, like the instructions would take up three sentences. But you see my point, though. Yes. Eat fish. If this is truly for the old school and television folks, you would have... A manual. Hell, maybe you'd have even um, the little keypad say, insert, something like that, just to be kitschy and cute. If you want to lean into I was it, say like a like a like a cling overlay or something yes. like that. Like this is cool shit that would have been far more something interesting. for your awful controller to put on top of it. To really, if you're going to lean into the forty year old market, you know all the people that are in their like late forties to to like late fifties by now, early sixties. That's what you would do. You, you got to ask me, Tommy. I, I'm here for free advice. You gave me your phone number. It's right here. You got your business card right next to me the, the, the last few years. Someone right said here. Tommy tags us in his videos. Yes. So in the, Speaking someone, of free advertising. Some, someone someone uh, in the tags, there was a bunch of stuff, including aforementioned uh, John Riggs. Uh, See a podcast is used in the, I guess, the Intellivision YouTube tags. That's like, it's like a hate fuck thing going on now, I think. <laughs> like, why would you do that? Like I guess if you search for CU podcasts, I I highly doubt the Intellivision videos will come up. Sure, I mean the ones I mean the ones they want to see ours will come up. I don't think their theirs would come up there. So here we're at. We're at now. These people, and I'm not even trying to to say you're you're not a bad person if you want to buy these. You want a trinket, that's fine. But understand what you are buying. You are not buying at this point a, a, a license to download the game. You go to the e-commerce policy on Intellivision site. They, this is hidden. This is not like when you buy the game. You have to go down their e- e-commerce policy page on Intellivision.com. Scroll to the bottom. Did you read this? Did you read this shit? You read it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bad. By purchasing any collector's boxed edition bundles, you agree to understand what you are purchasing. What you are purchasing, a collector's item as described below. They're missing a word. What you are purchasing 
is a collector's item get described a as a copy below. editor. Can you get a WordTune account for God's sake? Get a copy editor for teams. Four or eight game titles, depending on which you choose, in the unique collector's box, collector's box edition package. By the way, these first versions, the only thing that's the difference between these 50,000 and the rest, I think it says limited on the front, and that's it. They even said, like, that's why they're collector's edition. If they make more, it just won't say limited on the front. That's right. it. So each collector's box edition will have collector's packaging related to the game title. By the way, I have no problem with the art. I don't like the color scheme of that light blue with the white text on top, a little hard to read. I have no problem with the art. Ian said he likes some of the art. I like That's most fine. of the art, yeah. You get collector's packaging, one collector's edition embossed metal coin related to the game's title. There's the intelligent running man and all the frames, and you get a picture of the art piece of the title. One collector's edition lenticular trading card related to the game title one rfid digital media card to download the to download to download the game license when the game becomes available on the intellivision amico game shop dates to be determined they reiterate here for legality's sake a physical good and not a software license to the game title until the game becomes available to be downloaded on the intellivision amico game shop so technically what you all just ordered was not technically a game license they make that clear here you got a digital you got a uh, excuse me a physical product that might turn into the promise of getting the digital game later maybe so what that means is you're on the hook for this purchase if this game never comes out these games never come out yeah they've covered their asses if the games don't come out then you bought your product you you have no recourse you bought your product if one or more of these don't come out well, you got your coin, you got your card for $80. I was going to say 20 but no, you, you at minimum spent $80 to get four games. How craven is that? Just go back. Not, I want to go back to that. How craven to, you have to buy these in bundles? These games aren't connected, really, in any way. They're all different genres. They're all, you know, like what? It's like a loyalty test. How loyal are you? Are you loyal enough to put how 150 many down on my want, promises? How many people truly wanted to buy all four of those for each bundle? I guess the diet and the wool people that were going to support this hardcore wanted every single one. That I did not see that coming. I did not see that level of des- desperate greed coming. We're so, going to force you to buy packs of four. I believe Tommy Aaron Television released some sales numbers and said that they sold like 150 of like, I don't know. It was in the hundreds for what they sold. Was that on Atari Age? Where was that on? I don't remember where I saw it. It was linked to something somewhere. Hundreds of bundles or hundreds of orders? Like, yeah, it was like, I think it was like 150 something of like, it was like, a, it was like mid hundreds, I think for all, like bundle one, bundle two, and all of them together. So we'll say 500. We'll say 500. 500 orders overall. Yeah. Okay. That's about right. You, you, that means you sold uh, 500 Pat Myth. You sold thousands of games. Yeah. You sold thousands of games. Thousands of potential games. Thousands. The, the promise, because it's not a game license, the promise of it being converted into a game license. To, what, to download the game license when the game becomes available. Again, dates to be determined or dates to be announced. You're buying a physical good, not a software license to the game title. It says that. I mean, I, that's, I've, this is a first. That's a first for video games. That maybe Damian McFerrin can hone in on. You're buying a physical good and not a software license to the game. Right. Until we complete the game in the future when it comes out. People were trying to say that, like, well, there were some uh, maybe PS4 games that you could pre-order before the system came out or the controller. But that's, that's first of all, that's Sony. 
uh, putting out a huge product and they have they have you know decades of experience as a company. Again, it, yeah. stop comparing, stop doing the what if with companies like Nintendo or Sony. Microsoft. And Sony. It has nothing to do with being a fanboy. It has to do with them being companies that have been around for decades Billi- and in some cases centuries. Billion dollar over companies. Over a century. Billion dollar companies that have shipped hardware before. Selling games a couple weeks early with the uh, game on the media. Nintendo never delayed a console three times and then it was desperate enough for money to, to sell the promise of downloads of games. Sony Sony never, you know, wish wish you know waffled on what their physical media actually was and then try to sell you the pre-order. This is not a major video game company. This is an upstart company again when it comes down to it. It's an upstart. So I don't know. I I, I guess they're going to make some money. Even if they sold, even if they sold all 50,000. I think someone these. did the math. If they sold What's everything, the- I think they'd make like a million bucks. That's that's gross, but these don't cost much to wait. These cost probably a dollar to make these. RFID cards cost nothing. The cardboard cardboard costs nothing. This could not have cost much. Let me, let me see if I can use my calculator here. I so, would imagine that a, a premium metal coin to order is probably about as much as a you know a metal pin. Dollar? Yeah. I'd say less, fifty cents. I mean bulk. These are these are bulk. Um yes, no, it, it's a million dollars. Yeah. It's a million. This company needs a hell of a lot more than that to keep running. If they got a million dollars, say that was a profit to them. Okay, you're running a company for uh, another four to six months, maybe. I don't know. Based upon your payroll, what you have going on, that doesn't really get you far. But this is desperation, obviously. They, they do not have investors to keep this. My opinion, they do not have investors to keep this company going or to produce this if this is the, this is the desperate tact they're going, uh, they're going to. I just can't stress enough. Uh, two things. Cannot stress enough how much this is obviously a we need money very fast thing if you're selling it in packs. Mm-hmm. And I still think the NFT thing, that is the only thing that might be even remotely interesting if you're into NFTs. And I'm not. Um, I think it's just buzzwords that Tommy's throwing yeah. around and saying, figure it out later. When you think of family and fun and friendly and safe, you think NFTs. That's, that's what you think of. Yeah, right? Absolutely. Uh, here it is. Here's the here's the best uh, comment. I I I I butchered it from X360 Dev Nerd, and we'll just end on this. The entire product is 100% biodegradable. Yeah, because they're all gonna end up in the trash. That's. But maybe the, maybe there'll be a collector market for it. Maybe there'll be scalpers. In the future. Oh, I'm sure there will be people. In the future. If, this, if this never comes out, there will be people in the future who want to buy these. Seals. Sure, people I mean, because there's a collector for everything. Sure, people try to buy the Mattel Hyperscan, and that only did about. You know, like 20,000 or so, I think, units worldwide or something like that. So, like, if people, if that was a major company, so people try to buy that after the fact. People try to buy this. It's just, it's just whether or not you're, you're going to see a console come out soon. If you're on a mission to be the best gift giver ever this year, it's never too early to start crossing off your list. Whether you're shopping for mom, dad, teenagers, in-laws, or your best friends, Uncommon Goods makes it easy to find remarkable and truly original gifts for anyone. Uncommon Goods wants your holiday season to be stress-free, so check out their selection of thousands of items today. They have a lot of interesting things on the website. For instance, uh, they have this Be Happy peanut butter sampler that I saw. Oh, Six jars of like gourmet weird peanut butter that honestly sounds like you could just eat it out of the jar with a spoon. We got stuff like peanut butter, cranberry, white chocolate, and dark chocolate. We got white chocolate and pretzel peanut butter. Uh, that sounds incredible. It does sound incredible. And they've got tons of other stuff too for your bar, your kitchen, games, everything. 
Who knows what holiday shopping will look like this season, and the unique gifts at Uncommon Goods can sell out fast. So shop now and get it taken care of early. No matter what they are into, Uncommon Goods has the perfect gift. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home, and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. Not the same lackluster gifts you can find just anywhere. They have stuff like create your own real viewer. Remember those old ones from the 80s, those red things? You can just send them your own pics, and they'll come back with their own real, you know, you can look at them. It's fantastic. I never heard of that before. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the U.S. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere. I saw a karaoke microphone speaker that connects to your smartphone. I didn't know that existed. I didn't know that was a thing. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. They've donated more than $2.5 million to date. So to get 15% off your next gift, go to UncommonGoods.com slash CU Podcast. That's UncommonGoods.com slash CU Podcast for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. Every year, U.S. businesses waste over $400 billion. That's right. $400 billion. Because bad writing causes confusion, misses the mark, or just takes too long to get to the point. On the flip side, better writing also helps businesses win and impress customers, enhance brand perception, improve internal communication, and strengthen relationships with critical partners. Better, faster writing means better business, which is why your team needs WordTune for Teams. Now, this is big, but for our listeners that want to improve their entire team's writing right now, WordTune Teams is 50% up. That's 50%. When I first tried WordTune, I was impressed that WordTune could understand the meaning, not just words, but also context. It felt like it was the future. It felt like I had an editor right next to me assisting me in making my writing the best it could be. B, WordTune is going to improve you and your team's writing, help your efficiency, and help you just collaborate better. WordTune improves writing efficiency up to four times. Better, faster writing means better business. WordTune improves performance on any project, everything from internal emails to press releases, sales outreach to customer service support, and so much more. You can use WordTune anywhere you're writing online, including Google Docs, Slack, Outlook Web, and WhatsApp. And right now, our listeners can get 50% off WordTune for teams at wordtune.com slash podcast. If you want to see the benefit of WordTune, you can try WordTune for free at wordtune.com slash podcast. That's W-O-R-D-T-U-N-E. But this 50% discount is only available for a limited time and only for teams. You might never see a discount like this again. Your team can start writing better right away for 50% off. That's half price at wordtune.com slash CU podcast. All right, Ian, Pat. I just went to too many games in Oaks, PA. Yeah, you did. Uh, sorry? Yeah, you did. I yated? I said, yeah, you did. Oh, okay. And um, I saw a lot of video game vendors that, that were there, as well as several, maybe eight or so, that had a lot of graded games. And, of course, we expected in the past couple years lots happened in the last couple years since we had conventions uh rated games blowing up uh heritage auctions was there golden auctions was there who just started getting into video games uh comic connect which is another one we usually talk about they were there uh to show off games and to sign actually talked to one of the, the guys that runs it very nice fellow um cgc was at too many games they're going to start grading games next year as well to compete with wada wada pulled out of the event um, 
for 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 reasons, I guess. But but they were all there. So obviously, I wasn't looking at all the graded games. That's not my that's not my cup of tea. But there were people there that were selling stuff, and familiar faces we've seen in the past talking about it. And there are some people that actually collect graded games. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but my focus uh, at the event was on the prices. I always track the prices, as I did two years ago, uh, before this all went to shit the world, the prices of retro games in, in general. And two years ago, even you want to say three years ago, uh, we both noticed, you know, the prices of, of you know, 16 and 8-bit games were, 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 were dropping uh, to a degree. And not just that, it seemed like the interest was, was dissipating on a lot of the stuff. I remember you pointed out to me from one commission, I think it was PRG a few years ago, how there was an Earthbound that sat there all week and no one bought, for example. Sure. It was just in the case no one bought it. And then five, six, seven, eight years ago, people all would have bought Earthbound right away. Well, as I've said before, I think a lot of the times it's it's because, uh, you know, there's a finite market for this. Mm-hmm. It's like when you go to the conventions, it's like if it's the third time you've brought a book to the convention, you don't expect to sell so many because the people who would want it have it. Um, you know, there was a time at Luna where an Earthbound would come in and, you know, sit in the case for, uh, you know, half a day. And, you know, now the last Earthbound we had, you know, priced fairly at, you know, market value, sat there for a month and a half because the people who are looking for it already already have what they want. Um, one thing I noticed about, you know, when you posted uh, a picture from the convention was I looked immediately at the prices. Which, by the way, was it that when I put that picture that was not even, I was in. Focusing on the prices, by the way. It was Danny Sullivan's Indie Heat. It was Danny Heat. Sullivan's Indie Heat, yeah. but off to the side. I'm going to see what was actually in that picture. Uh, to the left of it, there was a Castellian that was priced at 30 and an Excite Bike priced at $20 fucking $25. 25 I'm looking at it now. I mean, Excite Bike is just one of those games where, like, dirt common. I mean, extremely common. Uh, it's one that people want, but like, it's not even one that sells out particularly frequently. Like at Luna, we usually have three or four copies. It's never like in a a ton of them, but we always have them. I think at Luna, it's like a $10 game. Uh, I keep saying we, like I work there. Pokemon stadium was 30 on here and I'm just, I I didn't get all the prices on here, but okay. I see what you're saying. So, I mean, I looked into it in Castellian. There are some higher end eBay prices that went for that, but, uh, auctions were ending at 15. I saw plenty of buy it nows for Castellian in the eighteen to twenty two dollar range that sold, um, and I know that it's it's weird. It's hard for me to say. I don't think prices of popular games, truly rare games, are going to come down as fast as everyone thinks they will. When we entered the pandemic, and I was even guilty of this for a little bit, prices of things shot up because we were bored. We were bored. People had stimulus checks. There was extra unemployment. There was more expendable income for, for some people. Stuff to do. So the prices went up on these things. And because they were in high demand. That's how it works. But, and I think a lot of those games, because, I mean, this is how you know markets work. People who paid a lot of money for this aren't going to want to let these things go for, you know, an immediately cheaper price a year later. I think a lot of some of these rarities... Uh, PlayStation 1 games, PlayStation 2 games, things that jumped up. I think it's going to take a while for these prices to level out if they ever do. A lot of times, prices don't really revert. and they Or if they do, they don't revert quickly. Um, but I do think that this weird... Because, I mean, we, we saw it at Luna. There are some... Uh, any, I don't think this whole pumping up every title in, an, in the NES catalog or the Super Nintendo raising all those prices again is going to stand. It just can't. 
It so, can't. So again, historically, we go back to around the fall of around 2000, excuse me, the summer of 2016 was the peak for a lot of stuff. You look at price charting, it's there. People try to argue me on Twitter. I'm like, look at price charting. A game, a game like Contra, according to price charting, peaked at $48 June 2016. It then fell tremendously over the next three years to the low point on here was, uh, looks like end of 2019, about 18 and change, right? Right. And then you see in 2019, it starts going back up. And now it's up to 35. It's almost regained all of it after taking a, a, a three-year sort of drop of about like half. It went down over half. That's like a 60% drop in price. And that happened to a lot of those games. And I saw in 2019, I went to about eight conventions in 2019, nine conventions. That was the first time I saw it ever. I saw Super Nintendo, I saw, excuse me, Super Nintendo games I saw sit. But I saw NES games sit that were the coveted ones. A vendor at uh, PRG 2019 had like the Power Blade 2. He'd have like the Bonk. Um, he'd have like those like $300 games, two to $400 games that collectors are into those. Those are hard to find and good. End of the weekend, I said to him, have you, these really sellers said, no, they haven't. They were just sitting all there. Right. So I told you that that, that is done for now. Like, they're not as coveted for that price. People that want them at that price already got them. There's not any new collectors to come in and to get them. Um, and that was also the first year in 2019. I went to a few conventions where I saw for the first time ever in doing this dollar NES boxes. Dollar. I'm not lying. Dollar NES boxes. And they weren't just all sports games. Some were sports games. They weren't all. Dollar NES boxes. Top Gun, I bet you. Stuff Bayou like Billy. that. Verbal Cop, I even saw. $2, three for five boxes. Stuff like that. That's how these were priced like 15 years ago, like back then. Sure. And, and I saw that come to that point. So obviously, COVID, the pandemic, economic factors, which I, I briefly mentioned, have turned things topsy-turvy. We've had you know, the rise of uh, meme stocks, uh, NFTs, card, collector, uh, card collecting has gone through the roof with sports and non-sports cards with Pokemon and Magic. So people are looking to spend on something, not just to have fun with, but to like, not necessarily get rich quick, but they're caught up in all this right now. We see this all over the place. And I think with Nintendo specifically going back to that picture, I think that's where you, uh, you don't want to be right. What I want to get at is, while there was definitely a boost in prices all around because of the pandemic, and because video game collecting once again got a shot in the arm from the pandemic and people, you know, looking for things to do. I still think the general pattern of interest waning uh, as systems get older is going to happen. You're not magically going to suddenly find a bunch more people interested in NES stuff that weren't interested in it prior no. because of the pandemic. What's going to happen is, is I think that the prices that got raised and inflated be, uh, because of the pandemic for systems that were already in line to become the next popular systems, PS2, PS1, that sort of stuff, those prices are going to stay higher longer. But the 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 temporary inf uh, temporary inflation again again of kind of no-name games on the nes that's not gonna last that 30 dollars castellian that's never gonna move yeah we, i was kind of shocked at that when i heard that because that's a game that only a collector would like a collector right. trying to complete a set would want and and that's like i said people got into collecting again because of the pandemic but still with like i said you know what i'm saying the you're getting aged out yeah you're, you're getting aged out this with is nintendo this could be the last hurrah for it 
Yes. For the 8 and a lot of the 16-bit stuff. I think that would have been a key. I don't think we would even really be talking about Nintendo stuff uh, being remotely popular at this convention right now if it Uh, wasn't for the pandemic. But I saw crazy prices on Genesis stuff. I think I saw a Splatterhouse 3 cart only for a cart only I saw for like 150. Mm. I think I think I bought that complete for like 70 bucks like 4 years ago. So, I'm not saying of course all these prices, you know, you're at a convention you could have a little sur- surcharge, but in general, I walked around looking like if I was into collecting this stuff, I wouldn't be able to collect this stuff. Right. I was priced out. I was priced out. And that's why I always think about when I bring this stuff up. When you get to the point when you start pricing out most people, that's when it's a bubble when it comes to stuff. When you get to a point where you want so much to buy this stuff, Ian, and you just can't anymore. Yeah. So you can't justify spending 150 bucks for, you know, Splatterhouse 3 isn't easy to find. It ain't that rare, though, to cost that much. So, like, once you get to that point, you're going to have people say, well, I guess I won't do it. I just won't buy it. I wouldn't spend $150 on that, you know? No. So, like... But I have it in my collection. So like even I, a few years ago, had the, okay, what's the point of reasonable amount that I'm spending here? And I'm in a position, fortunately, where I can spend a little bit more. Most, most people, they might think about, well, I'm on a budget for collecting this month. I can't do it. And that's what I keep coming back to. I, I, I keep coming back to, like, all, because the problem is, is that all these games are a lot more money than they were two years ago. But everyone has, for mostly, the same game still. You have everyone having these same uncommon Hard to find or, or semi hard to find games, but a lot of them are still common and everyone has them. Everyone has the same N64 games, NES games, for the most part, Genesis games, Super Nintendo games. If everyone all has the same stuff and all the prices are high everywhere, something has to give. They have to. I'm not even ta- going to address like the, the GameCube games that we talk about shooting up into the stratosphere the past you know, couple of years. Maybe because that's just the time, you know, it's, it's aged to that point where now it's retro for those It people. was timing plus pandemic. But for the stuff that's already seen the dip, for it to come back up, that can't yes. be the stuff that popped back up after a dip. I don't think that's going to stick around. The stuff that was coming up on its own anyway and got a boost from the pandemic. I think those are the prices that are going to take longest to come back down. I kind of understand the stuff like maybe like okay, maybe the turbo games they, they weren't made in large quantities. There was like three or four people that had turbo games there. I always get excited because you know you don't see them that. There was like one or two that had PC Engine stuff. Um, but yes, for again for those popular systems, I just don't see it ending well. So I, I talked to one vendor. I mentioned that, yeah, I'm looking to sell a bunch of my stuff. I said that in the podcast before. I'm not going to sell all of it, but I'm going to sell a chunk of it. And I brought up, like, you know, uh, Kid Clown, for example. Brought up Kid Clown. I have it complete. Um, I, have, I do not track the prices of stuff I have because I don't have a real reason to. I don't. Um, but I said to, to him, you know, I have a Kid Clown complete in blocks, box. He said, I'll give you, like, 700 bucks for that right now. This is a vendor telling me that in order to sell it for more. I looked at him like... What's going on? Like, what is happening? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird. It's strange. Bizarre. So I can't imagine a lot of people might say in the future, you know, okay, maybe this is time to sell and we'll get out. The prices are too much. And if you don't have the person to replace it, again, also all comes back to the replacement theory. If you don't have the collector to replace the person getting out, that's one more of that game out in the wild that is out there that no one buys. Well, it's kind of like you need confidence of the marketplace. I mean, when you look at an expensive game, I think most people who look at, say, let's just say Panzer Dragoon's 1000 or 1000 I'll look it up right now. Whatever the price it's going for, I think most people could probably look at it 
and be like, if I bought this, I could probably confidently resell it for this amount of money. Because that one's a little bit harder to find. Right. I think people need to feel confident in their purchase of these retro games to make that purchase in the first place. And I don't think anyone looking not to go back and harp on it, but anyone looking at a $30 copy of Castellian is looking at being like, I, I would never be able to get 30 bucks for this again. Uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga uh, looks like it's thirteen fifty right now in price charting. The uh, what, last one just sold for seventeen sixty, so there you go. So it's averaging, it's trending up though in that direction. Um, it's it's just should yeah. have bought that like three times by now. Oh yeah, that came in your shop a few times. I remember you telling me about that. I got mine from uh, Frank at Forgotten Freshness. I traded for some uh, certain certain guidebooks. It was it was a trade from the seller, and I got because I figured like I there's no way I'm spending whatever at the time. I think it, was, it might have been worth seven hundred at the time or six hundred. I wish I had sure. spent six hundred on it. Would you would you have sold though for the profit or just because you want it so badly now you, it's harder to get? No, I want it for. Well, she listens to this every once. I, I want a copy for Bonnie. Oh okay, anniversary present in the future. Um, I mean, I, 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 Vani is not getting Panzer Dragoon Saga from me anytime soon. <laughs> I don't know. You got a, this cushy new job. You know who knows what happens. Be CEO in a few years, you know. Yeah. Be barking orders at people, throwing coffee mugs against the wall in anger. Anyway, so you see it in your store, obviously, this this uptick in interest, not just to play the games, but also to collect. Um, is there a time you think where we'll go back to pre-COVID prices? Like, no, I, I I think even it'll take a bit. I think Ben, I I think even talking about pre-COVID prices is kind of dumb because there's never going to be a pre-COVID again. We're just not going to get there for the prices, or just. I mean, the prices will eventually come down on their own, but we're not going to magically just hit a post-COVID point. No. It's not going to happen. And like I said, I think a lot of these prices are maybe going to stay high because it's it's just becoming a more money game. I don't think stuff like Nintendo prices. I don't think Nintendo, Super Nintendo, I don't necessarily think Genesis, with the exception of select key games, I don't think the general raising of the floor again is going to stay. I think that will probably... Okay, yeah. I think two years, you're going to see that go 90% away. 90% of them will And I think, I think so, a lot of that Nintendo stuff is going to go back down again. You're going to see Castellian for 10 bucks. You know, So I, pre-COVID. That's what, you'll get 90% of them will come back to pre-COVID. Okay. Probably. I, I guess I just take issue with the with the terminology. Everyone's waiting for things to go back to how they were before, and we're just. Never I, I'm talking about the prices, the sure. price points. We'll just say the prices, how they were in fall. I think the majority of the COVID bump will will fall apart. Okay. Can we agree on that for the older games? Okay, and then for the graded stuff, again, that's a whole other conversation that's not fully related. Some of the complete in box is related. It's dragged some of the complete in box up with it, which I that I was wrong about. I was wrong. I did not see. The sealed market affecting the complete in box market to the degree it has. I did not. I did not see a complete in box early print run of Legend of Zelda going for over a thousand dollars. Because to me, there's just too many of them out there. I did not see, you know, a Mike Tyson's Punch Out, even a, a semi high grade complete in box going for like whatever, what fifteen hundred dollars. I did not did not see a game going from like a hundred bucks to to. Are you talking about graded ones? Yeah, are... ones that end up being graded. I mean. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I I say, see it, it hasn't. It hasn't affected the loose market. No, no. I mean the the loose complete market. If that loose makes sense, ungraded market. The ungraded market. Yeah, but then, but now in theory, though, I think it probably has. If I look it up, I'll look up Mike Tyson real quick as we close out this segment. If you have anything else to add, no, I don't. Okay, well then, I'm going to close out the the, the segment. Uh, complete in box price for Mike Tyson's Punch Out. Um, let's see. Well, five screw. That'd be super super early, but about two fifty. That's still a lot higher than what it was a few years ago. A Our lot. Complete in box. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I mean, the um, last one we had that we sold was probably 80. Uh, in the fall of 2019, it was at 100 bucks. That sounds about right. 
And now well, it's maybe at, for five screw. And now it's at two hundred sixty-five dollars, about two fifty. So it's gone up one, uh, one and a half times. It's two and a half times the value of what it was. That's unnatural. Sort of swing that quickly for a game that sort of stabilized, you know, at a certain point in time. All right, that's it. We'll, we'll do we'll do the update. We'll see you for the the retro the state of retro game collecting two thousand twenty-three. So we do this every like two years or so. Yeah, thereabouts. All right, it's time for Patreon. Q&A, Ian. Ian. Ian, how do you access this CU Podcast Patreon? You go to patreon.com slash CU Podcast. You go. Uh, you check it out. You maybe throw us a little money. You get uh, you get poll topics like this. You get more. You, you get, get a more. bonus episode now. Bonus episodes. Full video podcast writings, which I am behind on. I will try to get to that today after work. You get early access. That's right. We're going to start doing the, the, uh, the, the voice messages. will come up early there. And I want to thank everyone out there for supporting the Patreon. Uh, the month of September was the, the 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 biggest, big, big, biggest Patreon month ever. Most successful Patreon. So thank you so much. We we thank you for that. So this week's Patreon poll that you can vote on there as well. In second place, why do Pat and Ian talk about controversial topics? Which is not meaning that if that wins, we won't. It's just you know the theory around it. Why do we think it's important to talk about that? And in first place, at 78% with a bullet, the worst NES games ranked by professionals. So this comes from uh, Seth Abramson, who is a political uh, journalist, a junkie. He was uh, famous uh, for first uncovering uh, the, the Russian collusion stuff. And he spun off and started talking about video games in the past few months. I thought that was funny because he grew up with them. He's a retro gamer. He listens to the podcast. He follows some of the stuff we do. Um, so he, he was nice enough to you know send me the emails and stuff that's, that's usually you have to be a subscriber of his to follow here. And so we're going to talk about this one. Uh, the 100 worst NES games, a definitive ranking compiled from over 50 outlets and experts. Proof curated the findings of 52 industry outlets and experts into a single ranking, making this the largest ever consensus list of the worst video game consoles on the world's most beloved gaming console. So I've sent Seth my books before. I'm picturing maybe using uh, websites like Worst of Lists and things like that in order to compile this. And obviously there's a star rating according to the book, which would be helpful as well. Um, so this is from his writing here. Proof has decided to do a deep dive on this question and find out which games deserve the title of worst NES games ever. This result is the first ever worst 100 NES games published by U.S. media outlet. The sources used to compile this consensus ranking range from major outlets, The Guardian, previous advice to industry stalwarts, Games Radar, Gamers, Ultimate Nintendo... Uh, from popular outlets for niche hobbyists, Cracked, Den of Geek, and Gadget, Bleach Report, and Mojo, Mojo, to, uh, they, they do compilation lists, to crowdsource data archives and well-regarded fan sites. The World History Project, Ranker, Spoon Shiro, and Fan Pop. So a wide variety of different sorts. Of, some, are, some are like list compilers, some probably more, more erudite, Ian, right there. So we're going to be all tied with 25. We'll work our way down from all 25. We're going to start with... Uh, We'll start with 31, because there's, 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 there's a lot of time at 31. We'll do this last one. WF WrestleMania. Miserable game. Absolutely awful. Uh, controls that are basically... Uh, broken. Mean, broken. They're broken. They're broken. 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 Uh, the only good thing about it is the theme music in it, which yes. I think I actually stated in my review. And that's a, a rare developed game. Uh, the Adventures of Gilligan Island, uh, 25th. I do not think this game is that bad, having reviewed it for the guidebook. I think um, the story is, 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 is nice. The mini stories you play, 
The controls are all right. I would not have ranked this as high as this. I did not give this a terrible rating in the book. It's a Bandai game, right? I believe so. I think it's one of those ones that people just look at and go, it's got to be horrible. They misunderstand it. Yeah. They misunderstand it. Oh, you have to have Gilgan stay close to the to the skipper. It's not, I would not, this would not have made my top 100 worst NES games list. I think I might have given it two and a half or three stars, actually. The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle. It's Bad. Not, it's not a good game. It's not the worst game, but it's not a good game. Controls are horrible on uh, this game. Awful controls and typical uh, shitty THQ era graphics that look like they should have been on, like, I don't know, a, a computer from 1987. Bill and Ted's excellent video game adventure. I want to put this higher. This might make my top five or six, actually, the more I think about it. Uh, the isometric viewpoint is awful, and dialing anything is just a... Yes. The mini game of dialing, I still don't understand exactly what I'm no, doing. No, it's I'm awful. Doing. Uh, Muppet Adventure, Chaos of the Carnival. Did you review that one? Uh, I might have. I would say this. I don't remember it being miserable. I remember it being very unmemorable. Uh, Simpsons, Bart vs. the Space Mutants. I, I, it's, been, it's not good. It's not, but it's uh, absolutely not one of the 25 worst games. Uh, I think the first level is actually very interesting with the, you know, you got to hit everything purple. And there's some puzzles, like how you have to use the rocket to get the O in the, the Bolarama sign. Sure. Um, I thought the first level was, while it did not control well, I thought it was a pretty interesting idea. And the rest of the game, had it played like that, could have been interesting. But, but I think in the second, starting the second level, it just turns into a normal, awful platformer. Yeah. It's, at that point, you're struggling with the controls. Right. For the most part. Uh, these are both wrestling games that are tied. I don't agree with one of these in particular. Tag Team Pro Wrestling and Muscle. Tag so, Team Pro Wrestling is absolutely abysmal. Yeah, that's the one where you use a list to select your move. It's yep. bad. I like Muscle. Once you learn the, the small mechanics, I don't think it's horrible. I tried. It's, I think it's real bad. I, I think it's all right. I got into it. I liked, I liked the power-ups. There are special moves for the characters. I actually think there's... There's the mechanics aren't terrible once you get into that, but I understand if you don't like it. The gra- the graphics are are really simple. What sort of the, the little toys? So they're based on that. Uh, Athena is seventeenth here, tied for seventeenth. The NES version is not good. What? But seventeenth worse? I think that could be. I'd put it in the top fifty. Top fifty, not seventeenth. Yeah, this is one that should have been top five. Cheetah Men two. Yes. I mean, it's, 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 it's a broken game. Yeah, it's a broken game. Broken game. Uh, Conan at 17th. Did you review that one? I did, and I didn't. I, it, 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 it controls like shit. It controls like absolute dog shit. But I think I found the game to be kind of interesting once I got to grips with it. How about Hydelide next, tied for 17th? Hydelide is not a great game, but I do kind of like Super Hydelide. I do think that Hydelide... See, this is interesting because he has a difficult games list that I agree with more that mm-hmm. I think he used the same methodology for. But I feel like a lot of these hard NES games, a lot of them are a lot of these worst games. I think a lot of them are misunderstood. Hydelite is not great, but it's a, a lot of why people hate it is because they don't know how to play it. It's a poor of a PC game. Even if you know how to play Hydelite, yeah, it's not amazing. But I think people bought it and thought it was supposed to be like a Zelda and they don't sure. get it and they turn it off immediately because they go, haha, this game sucks without trying to sure. approach the game on its, it's own terms. It's more misunderstood. Yes. Uh, Little Red Hood. I almost say maybe you shouldn't put all these unlicensed games on here because you get tons of these ones. So then you have Little Red Hood, which I haven't played a lot. Operation Secret Storm, I, I reviewed. That's bad. Mi- miserable, but all the Color Dreams games are miserable for the most part. I mean, yep. how then you get to one that I think is more misunderstood. This, to me, is more hard than worse. Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer, I think, technically is all right of a game. It is punishingly hard as a shooter, but it's not impossible. 
It's not impossible. It's not. I, but it is, it is unfair. I, I will say that. I don't like it because uh, shooters are allowed to be hard. I play plenty of shooters that are extremely difficult. Some that are more difficult than Silver Surfer. My problem with Silver Surfer is that the hitbox is freaking massive. Yeah, I wouldn't put it on the worst because the, the music is fantastic. The graphics are pretty good. It's just like the difficulty is just too much on that. I like the fact that it's vertical and, and, and horizontal. That wouldn't make my, my worst NES games. Uh, this one may or may not, depending on my mood, uh, usually it's a shooter, according to Rue. Back to the Future at number 12 tied. Uh, I have a weird fondness for, for how wacky this game is and the mini games involved, where I don't think this would make my top 20 worst NES games. I actually didn't no, give it a horrible review. I don't think it would for me either. If you look at... It's all I think about... Uh, it, a expectations? Lot of it's, it's about expectations. Yeah. If you look at Back to the Future as any arcade game, if this had been released in the arcade, slightly better graphics, I think it would... Um, you know... Uh, better difficulty scaling. I think it, I don't think it would have been looked frowned upon um, because it is an arcade game structure. You dodge stuff and then you get mini games and sure. it's the mini games aren't awful in theory. Uh, collision detection is not great on some of it. There are some problems just based with, like on the actual coding, but the game itself is decent in theory. Um, ties itself to the movie well enough. Yeah. Uh, my biggest problem is that it's absolutely fucking grating to listen to. Yeah, I didn't give it a horrible review. I didn't give it a glowing review, but no. the next one, though, I, I was Back to the Future 2 and 3, that's more miserable. Oh, those are awful. That's more miserable. Bad Street Brawler. Really bad game. Yeah. Uh, Barbie. Barbie is one that... Barbie's interesting, though. Barbie is one, yes. It's interesting, but when you look at it, okay, this is for maybe little little kids, little girls to play. Uh, that they marketed to, I try to, to grade on that scale, and it's still bad. No, it's still bad. Writer for uh, the books, um, Christina, he does. Uh, she speed runs that game. She did, uh, the original one. Yeah, did not know that. I think she did all the, the Super Nintendo. She did the Super Nintendo review. Uh, Bible Adventures at eight. You know what? Excuse me, at twelve tied. I I think there's a couple of the Bible Adventure games that are actually decent out of out of the set. That's more of a one based upon reputation, right? And that's again, it's reputation yeah. and haha. These Bible games exist. Uh-huh. And, I mean, that is funny, but uh, honestly, they're not uh, of like the unlicensed games. They're not the worst. No, they're not the worst. No, the the, the Wisdom Tree ones actually, by and large, are better than most of the Color Dreams ones. When you get into oh, absolute, like, like Exodus absolutely, Exodus and Joshua. The, like the overhead uh, spiritual puzzle. warfare, yeah. the Zelda clones, yeah. they all play better than most of the um, unlicensed games. Uh oh, we we had now we have a bunch of movie, a couple of uh, Hudson Hawk at at ten. It's bad, then, uh, not ten bad, but it's bad. And then Total Recall, which is always kind of lumped in because they're both like weird R rated movies. Yeah, that got weird. Yeah, they're not great. Hudson Hawk had interesting ideas. Uh, I always like to try to point that out during like the marathons. The first level incorporates like weird stealth stuff. Um, it controls like shit, but definitely not the tenth worst game on the system. This one I would put higher. I put this in the top two or three. Dragon's Lair is miserable to play. Oh, it is. And the fact that and it's it, not broken. It's just miserable. It's to designed play. to be miserable yes. to play. It's designed to be miserable, and it's like we want to make it as torturous as going through the arcade. Well, they didn't have to. They could have made like a little platformer. Yeah, a little platformer. You hit a guy. You know, use your sword to hit little creatures and everyone would have been probably fine with that and to have these like one hit death things like the arcade just did not translate obviously that would probably uh be my top one or two more i think about it's it. very bad uh super pitfall some people don't like it i never got into it 
It's a bad game, but again, I think this is reputation and people wanted like a real Super Pitfall. I mean, sure. Pitfall 1 and 2 are fun, great fucking games. It's almost games, like it shouldn't have been And Super marketed. Pitfall looks like, I mean, I don't even know how it got that name. Well, it's Pitfall Harry, I guess, technically. But, uh, it's like Mario. Yeah, I don't know about that level. It's bad. But not, it's tied for 8th? Eh, probably not. Uh, Ghostbusters tied for 6th. Yeah, Ghostbusters is bad. The NES version's real no. bad. I tried to like it. So I like the Atari. This version. one should be higher. Where's Waldo? Also tied with Ghostbusters. Where's Waldo? Absolutely. Where's Waldo is probably my least favorite. Okay, for me, I think I I gave Dragon's Lair a bomb. I think in the book, only two games got a bomb. I gave Dragon's Lair a bomb. I mean, I could have given it a half star on a, on a good day, but that game was just miserable to get through the first even few screens. For a person like me who's colorblind, Waldo is oh, literal okay. pain. Like okay. it's yeah. impossible. To get through, but that even game. you know, you can't tell what Waldo. When you click on him, it's like, wow, I, I still can't see him. Like, I don't, I don't see him still. Uh, there's no detail in it. Deadly Towers. I think that gets a bad rap. Uh, Deadly Towers. I don't think it's fourth, the worst <sighs> tied. Deadly Towers uh, is 100 percent not the fourth worst game. And while I loved reading Sean Baby uh, uh, in my youth, he said he put it as his worst one. Sean Baby was the person who started the whole. It's Deadly the Towers game. is the worst game ever. It's got fine music. Yes, it's weird. You're fighting blobs and slinkies, and essentially. But it's really not that awful of a game. It's just unremarkable. Um, the next one I super disagree with. It's just a more difficult game. Friday the 13th is not the fourth worst NES game. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. It has any... It, the ideas present in Friday the 13th are good enough to just keep it out of the top 25. And the controls are all right. It's just that people The map don't sucks. Yeah, the map sucks. That's it. The map sucks. Uh, and getting to where you need yeah. to be is oftentimes far harder or more yeah. impossible than it needs to be. It's not a great game in its current execution, but it's got great ideas that I think automatically disqualify it from a top 10 or top 20. Uh, yeah, honestly, if you just improve the map and the navigation... It might have been a beloved I'm, game. I'm still, oh, it would have been. I'm still waiting for someone to take it and just do it right because I think the skeleton of that game is very, very sure. good. And the music's good. The different characters. I, yeah, there's something there. It's, it's, it's one of the only dark NES games where it's like a horror. Yeah. Um, Action 52. Absolutely. This yes. is number three. Like This is where like no one's going to have an argument with these top three. Uh, for for some of them, I, the the one might be a little controversial. Actually, this number one I think is probably going to be a little tough for me. But go, go for it. Uh, but but you won't get a lot of arguments. But. No. Action 52 is just broken. Yeah. It's absolutely broken. That's why I'm surprised like Cheetahman isn't bundled with this, but Action 52 is worse because you get all these broken games that like should never have been published. We know why. There were high school kids that learned how to code like in a week and a half or whatever and made these games like in a month or whatever it was. It was, it was, it was nuts. Uh, number two, un, the Uncanny X-Men. Um, this definitely makes my top 10. I don't have a problem putting number two. You can beat this game. That's the thing. Like I, I like to say, can you beat these games? Is that yes? You can beat Uncanny X. Oh, Uncanny X Men would probably. I, I it's would, miserable. I'm though. fine putting it at two. Oh no, it's a, it's bad. It's a miserable. miserable I gave it. Game. A, I gave it a half star. I talk. I, uh, I yeah. I think I actually mentioned this on extra napkins. It wasn't on here, but I, I know it was within the past two weeks. I mentioned that um, X Men was the only rental game uh-huh. I ever rented where I was like, no, I'm good. Yeah, it's. I it's played bad. it for like half an hour. and I was like, no, I'm gonna go outside. And number one. Drum roll, made famous by ABGN, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Oh, um, I, I was looking at, yeah, the list got sent to me all weird. But uh, I don't have a lot of experience with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's a bad game, sure. It's an interesting concept. I, th- I think it's misunderstood. Yes, you walk way too slow as Dr. Jekyll. Your cane does nothing. 
but there's like a deep there's like a deeper message about being bothered by everyday life that's in there. I think that I think they set out to do something more ambitious that the NES couldn't do, sure. potentially. But there's quirky stuff in it, like different bees that attack you. I would not put this number one. I would put I would put Action Fifty Two number one uh, or Dragon's Lair number one personally. This would probably be in the top ten. I would not put this number one though personally. Yeah, there's no. enough interesting things going on around it. Uh, versus something like Action Fifty Two, where there's nothing interesting going on. X Men might truly be my X Men be your number one versus ver, or, 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 versus Dragon Slayer. I those would be the, are the top two. If you put two in front of me and uh, said I had to pop one in the system right now and try to mess with it, I would pick Dragon Slayer just because I think their design decisions I, in Dragon Slayer are bizarre. But I want to see the other screens. I don't ever need to play X-Men on the Nintendo ever again. My worst ones are, in no order, I would do X-Men, Cheetah Man 2, Action 52, um, Where's Waldo? Oh, and Where's Waldo? And, and Dragon's Lair. Those would be my five. That's my five. In whatever order you want to do. Like that's, those are the ones that got either a bomb or a half star. In the book. And there are other like colored ones that got a half star. But again, those weren't official games. So like, those got past Nintendo. You know, right. A lot of these, some of these bad ones. Yeah, like, where's Waldo got past Nintendo? I don't want to take the time to think of a top five, but I would say where's Waldo and X Men would probably be where's Waldo, X Men, and Dragon's Lair would probably be my top three. All right, thanks Seth for the list, and we'll probably cover more of your list in the future. Uh, we got uh, voice messages to listen to. Go to anchor.fm slash to see a oh, podcast, shit. and you can listen to uh, voice messages. Uh, we'll, do, we'll do a quicker one this week. Yeah, he's, it's he's gonna have to be quicker. He's only got fifteen minutes this week. Hey guys, it's Ellen again from New Zealand. Um, just wondering if you know what's happened with Rue and Clan of the Grey Wolf. I know, Pat, you're on an episode of Echo Screen Live, and I that was. was a podcast I really enjoyed. So just wonder if you had any um, any idea what those two guys are up to. Thanks a lot. Uh, I'm not sure what uh, – is it, is it Dan? I'm not sure what Dan's up to. Just remember the, the uh, Commodore, but yeah, I don't – Commodore. I think it's Dan. Uh, yes, the Commodore. But Rue is living happy. He's developing his LED tech. And we talk on the phone like once or twice a year, and he's he's enjo- he's en- he's enjoyed his YouTube retirement. Yeah, we usually see him at Portland. Hey, Pat and Ian, this is Pat from Boston again. Question for the both of you: As a kid, did you like your lunch in a sack or a box, or was it called a bag or a pail? Thanks, guys. A pail. Keep up the good work. No, we're not. We're not. We're not working on a high rise. Uh, it would have been bagged lunch and boxed lunch. Uh, no, no pail, no sack. Well, box, well, lunchbox. You had like lunchbox. I had a Transformers lunchbox. Um, I actually liked just taking my lunch in a in a, in a paper sack. The weird thing about the uh, the, the, the thermos, my mom put milk in there. I had milk with my with my sandwich. Sometimes I did too as a kid, that was always weird. So you had like three hours to eat it. Like we had lunch pretty early. When you were a kid, you had lunch at like ten, fifteen, ten thirty, because you know we got it like two. Catholic school. Sometimes it was still cool. Sometimes a little bit lost the coolness. You don't want to drink room temperature milk, but you had to. Yeah. But most of the time, the thermoses kept it cool for a few hours. Yeah, thermoses, you know, they, they did what they needed to. It sucked that when it cracked the one time, it would drip out. Sometimes I'd open up and it'd be like a little soggy. Every once in a while, my mom would draw my bag. lunch bags. I liked that. Oh, Just Transformers. Why did I have a Transformers lunchbox and not G.I. Joe? When I like G.I. Joe a lot more. I did have that Mario Brothers Zelda 2 lunchbox. When I, was I had the Mario 2 one somewhere in here. No, the red the, one? it was the, yeah, the red one. With, oh, you yeah, had one that was both. Oh, yeah. okay. All right, I think you do, too. I think I do, too. All right, next. Hey, Pat and Ian. This is Doug from the Reset and Rewind podcast, a show where we talk about every video game movie in chronological order. My question for you guys is, what is your... Okay favorite movie based on a video game also what is the worst one you've seen 
love your podcast, and hope you'll check out the Reset and Rewind podcast. I'm off to play some Pokemon Plantum. Plantum! Uh, Best video game movie? Sonic the Hedgehog. Uh, Worst video game movie? Any of the rest. Uh, I don't know. I haven't seen many of them, but uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, probably any. I, I hear the Street Fighter Chun Li one's really bad for some reason. Yeah, I've heard that. Like worse real, than real the original bad. Street Fighter somehow. Street Fighter, the original Street Fighter movie is schlocky enough to be fun, but I think the Chun Li one was like it was just it was like they tried to get way too much into like backstory, and there was like no street fighting and Chun Li like Chun Li lore. Yeah, that no one asked for. I, I think the original Mortal Kombat. Did it like perfectly? Oh yeah, that's another good. That's another perfect. Good one perfect. Enough. Check out OSW did a did a two hour review of it. It was it was hysterical. I might have to go with that, but both of those are very very good, and I'd recommend them. All right next. Hi, Pat and Ian Corbin here from England. So back in the seventies and early eighties, space shooters were the biggest genre of video games. Then it became platformers in the eighties and nineties, and for the last fifteen to twenty years, it's been first person shooters. I just wondered if you had any thoughts or predictions about what might be the next big video game genre. I don't, um, but that's an interesting way to, you know, look at it. And I don't think anyone who is doing these necessarily at, you know, when people, I don't think anyone at the time could really say what the next big genre would be. I feel like once you get into 3D space, you have third person and first person and then i think the next step is virtual reality is, is there like, anything left to be discovered because, right because when th- that's basically the trend it went to this hasn't been done before platforms now it's big third, a lot third, of first them shooters so. a lot of them weren't doing it because you you couldn't yes. do it technically there was technical restrictions sure. now the technical restrictions you know there are still some when it comes to virtual reality but as i've said before i don't think vr is necessarily ever going to be fully adopted as a replacement it would to video games because it's too active the, the last breakout genre was probably what rhythm games it's like 12 years ago 13 yeah years ago so i i, I, I really don't I, I hate to sound so boring about it but Nothing. i don't know that there's really a whole lot left there to just kind of come out sure hey there this is stefan from maryland and i have a question how do you feel about crt filters for emulated mm. games i'm not talking the, the crappy ones where it's just like every other line is dark but a proper well-done crt filter to try to present the original pixel art in a way that it was originally viewed as opposed to just absolutely perfect squares on a high def screen love the podcast thanks yeah you need filters because we didn't play things looking all nice and clean we play with fuzzy crt monitors and a lot of time they did they did the art around crt so like to do like certain weird shading effects and stuff that is wiped away when you do it all clean on an emulator and plus the colors are sometimes different so i'm, I'm for any sort of filters that get closer whether it's an emulator or yeah. an fpga solution i'm absolutely all for them yeah, sure. i just don't think they ne- I, I don't i i i saw one and i jesus now i wish i could remember what it was that i was like hey that looks really good but for the most part i just don't think we're there yet I, I mean, I, I agree they are, they're important, absolutely, if you want to see these games, how they were supposed to be seen. I just don't think we've gotten any that really quite nail it. Hey, Pat. Hey, Ian. It's Brad from Whippany again. Hey, buddy. I was just wondering, have you ever tried something in a video game that you found so intriguing that you decided to either research it in real life or actually do it in real life? You know, like you played Pot Wings growing up, and you're like, you know what? I want to do some skydiving <laughs> or some cooking media to try out some new recipes or anything like that. Thanks. Bye. No, but I did think about, I thought about for a little bit trying to be a paperboy because of the video game. Like, that looks like a cool job. Throwing newspapers on on your BMX. I thought that would be a cool job. Kevin 
was a paper boy, and I went on his route with him sometimes. After school, he did, like, the afternoon delivery. Nice. Um, yeah, I was a paper boy, too, but not because of the game. No, I wish I had a better answer. That's a really cool question, but I don't actually – I don't can't think of anything. I'd love to hear answers from people where that is the truth, um, but I can't think of anything but, I tried because of a video game. Yeah, because what video games are so just real-life-based that you, you could try something, I wonder? Not, not a huge amount of well, like you I mean, you could say. I mean, for instance, you know, if someone picked up archery because they were playing something, you know, oh, okay. something like that. Hey guys, this is Aaron from the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. I have a question that kind of connects to your discussion of eBay from last week. Do you guys remember what newsgroup auctions were like before eBay either came around or before it got really big? It used to be a viable alternative that we've kind of left behind. Do you have any memories of that? Talk soon. Um, not really. I remember watching some for like, um, pinball machines and stuff, but I, I, I have very little recollection of what those were like. Unfortunately, I was only on my, uh, uh, Highlander TV news group back in the mid to, mid to late nineties. It was probably me and a bunch of like middle-aged women that were talking about the TV show. And, uh, I did not get on. I never really thought about that as a possibility. I see that sort of. I, I see like a return. It's interesting they bring. Are these still around? Do people still use those? Pinballs, pinballers do. So <laughs> uh, I've seen some an interesting kind of thing like that though with artists. I've seen artists kind of return to that where they will auction off like character art or an, an adopt okay. they call them on Twitter, and it's basically the same thing for twenty four hours. Reply with the new bid after the last bid, you know, and people buy things that way and there's no fees or anything like that uh, i mean i think that it probably works for small communities that are fairly well policed where you you know you feel safe and confident i do a few more here hey guys eddie from las vegas uh with a lot of the recent shadiness going on with uh graded games and games selling for much higher than they normally would um and also having multiple buyers owning a fraction of the game is there a possibility this is being used as a money laundering technique? Um, I'm reminded of recent history when people were using in-game currency to wash their money, and I believe it was Call of Duty. Uh, anyways, thank you guys. The reason I'll say no is this, is because usually money laundering happens in an established market. They, like, it's been around for a bit. Like, this is... It'd be weird to, to try to money launder and also try to establish that market with that money, if that makes sense. Yes. Possible? Yeah. Uh, right. Likely? No. I don't no. think there's it's actually just, any money laundering just going the on. the huge amount of collusion and backdoor doing that is obviously we've talked about and been right about, been proven right about. That's that's what's been uh, been happening here. Uh, hey, Patty Neaton. Just curious if you could give everyone a rundown of the history behind the intro theme song. Thanks a bunch. Bye-bye. Okay, so CFOs uh, were a fan of the podcast. They did they did the WWE themes forever. They don't anymore. Um, super long time. Yeah, they don't anymore. And uh, they reached out and said, hey, we'll do a theme song for you. I'd, I'm like, okay. That for, I think it was for the 100th episode, I believe. Yeah, I think so. It was for the 100th episode. Then the remix was for the 200th. Um, and then um, I, I, did, I wrote the, them uh, lyrics. Um, I sort of tried to hum a melody to them over the phone while I was in Norway. And then they did it, and it was fucking great, and it's great, and it is great. Great dudes. Uh, I I really enjoyed uh, having dinner with them. I, I every once in a while, Mike and I will text about music we haven't recently, um, which makes me think I should probably give them. A text. I haven't texted them in a while either. It's probably been about a year, year and a half. So, all right, we will do. Want to do just one more? Just one more. I gotta go. Okay. Think someone's checking in with all the great news? Uh, I would hope so. Big big news. <laughs> 
products are officially ready for your money. Shelves, ready for your shelves. But you can only buy them in packs of four or packs of eight. Hey, you do it with hot dog buns. I don't understand what the problem is. But for everyone still saying, Finnegan Fox is not exclusive, I put it right on the back of the box. Hey, kids, fun fact. Finnegan Fox is loosely, loosely, based on the 2018 crowdfunded pixel art platformer Fox's Forest. Isn't that fun? By the way, if you want to know why I was using text from Star Fox in the intro for Moon Patrol, let me read you what the team originally came up with. <clears throat> to whom it may concern, a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. <laughs> Call me Ishmael. See, so I showed it to Miyamoto-san, and he's like, you know what, dude, just take Star Fox. I don't even like it anymore. Moon Man! Well, there you go. Now we know how Tommy got the got the rights to use the Star Fox. Thanks Miyamoto for clearing Sun. that up, Tom. Tom, we know Miyamoto Sun was looking over your shoulder, and be like, "All right, I want to, I want that in there." He's done with Star Fox. Miyamoto Sun's your guardian angel. All right. Well, that's it for this podcast. It was a fun one. It was. It, yeah. This really feels like the first one we've done for fall. I know this is, we've had fall for weeks. This felt like a fall. The Sweat, weather is outside. Sweatshirt. Weather. The weather is right. Yeah. You, you took your sweatshirt off. I got too but, hot. But you know, well, you're you're a molten blob over here. But uh, no, this was this was a fun one. And uh, thanks so much. For, for listening and for your support. And uh, yeah, if you, if you want to listen to that exclusive podcast we recorded just a couple weeks ago, a week and a half ago, go to uh, patreon.com slash podcast. We talked about a lot of uh, fun stuff and there's a mini you know, from the game store. Yeah, that's, That's right. All right, we'll see you. We'll see you next week. Bye.